This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up? What's up? My Take Radio, episode 101 for Thursday, July 21st, 2011. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter II's Frets of Fury, and the artist was Vertex Guy. You can download that and any of the other previously used intro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The call in number is 347 324 354 Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. All right, it's the dawning of a new day here at MTR with our, I guess you would call it our second season, if you want to call it that, with MTR 101. A couple of things I want to discuss, but before we do that, let's get into some housekeeping to start things off. we got a couple of new posts that have been posted with tons of coverage from San Diego Comic-Con. we got stuff from Bronx going up. Uh, we have a great uh, article from Young Justice regarding Young Justice from Slick. And also I'm going to be posting some stuff from San Diego Comic-Con throughout the weekend as well. In addition to that, my guest this evening is going to be Lex McMahon. He is the CEO of Alchemist MMA and Alchemist Management. We're going to be discussing the work that Alchemist is doing in MMA currently, and also we're going to talk a little bit about the Nate Marquardt situation, not too much in depth because I'm sure these guys have been beaten to death and with with all a, with a ton of repetitive questions, but I have a couple of questions of my own to discuss, so Lex should be joining us probably by 11.15, 11.30, so we'll get into that as well. We're going to talk about WWE's Money in the Bank. We're going to talk about what happened on Raw on Monday night and some very important changing of the guard that went down. So that's what's going to be going on this evening with regards to that. Our Facebook fan page is at about 1,215 right now, well on our way to 1,250. Hopefully we can hit 1,300 by the end of August, and 1,500 hopefully in time for the holidays. That's what's going on. Um, The other thing is that Get Glue, as you obviously know, is available on our fan page and on the site to check in. You can check in on the site and on the fan page, and you'll be able to hopefully gain some stickers. I would say within the next two weeks, we got a couple of things going on with that, so there's going to be some improvements. So be on the lookout for that if you are a Get Glue subscriber. In addition to that, we are looking for new writers. If you are a fan of any of the stuff that we cover and feel that you would be a great asset to the MTR team, by all means, drop me a line at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, and we'll be able to discuss it. I'm currently looking for writers in the tech side, probably a couple of writers to expand on wrestling, and maybe a couple of writers to expand on MMA. I mean, we got a a good crop of 
of writers right now that that can handle movies and TV and stuff like that. But definitely want to expand a little bit on the wrestling side of things, even on the gaming front a little bit. So with that said, if you're interested in writing for MTR, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Please note, at the moment, this is not a paid gig. So if you send me an email and the first line is, how much are you are you paying? I will hit the delete button because obviously at the present moment, we are not paying anything, but you'll get access to some stuff. Maybe you'll get some of our giveaways, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the typical stuff that most people that write for websites are privy to. We will, of course, extend that courtesy to our staff as well. In addition to that, our MTR behind and beyond the mic app exclusives I have been doing very well. I've actually seen a a nice increase in people buying the app. So for that, I want to say thank you. The app is $1.99. You can actually purchase the app not only in the iTunes marketplace, but you can also purchase it in the Android market. And now we are also in the Amazon Android store. So you'll be able to pick up MTR at any one of those three particular stores, whether you choose to buy your apps from Amazon, the the marketplace for Android or from iTunes. We are in all three stores, so you can check that out there. It'll run you, like I said, $1.99. It's cheaper than a cup of Starbucks. Do yourselves a favor, get access to MTR on the go, and you guys who have access to all the exclusive stuff, including, like I said, MTR behind the mic and MTR beyond the mic. For those of you not familiar, MTR behind the mic is going to be an interview series that's going to talk to various broadcasters, whether it's podcasters, radio hosts, uh, vloggers, etc., and just get a little insight into what they do. And it's just more of a, of a one-on-one interview series. And so far, we've had great success with it. Kevin Baird from VGN is probably going to be our next MTR behind the mic. And then we got a couple of guys from SFX 360 and a couple of other shows that we will be adding to that as well. With MTR Beyond the Mic, we will be covering just, we're going to be going up beyond what we typically cover here on the show, and we're going to talk about tech stuff. We're going to talk to uh, startup companies, uh, development teams from startup companies, things of that nature, just to, to diversify our content a little bit on a different scale. So Beyond the Mic, our first one was taped actually on Friday with Andrew Kippen from Boxy, and that will be uploaded to iTunes this weekend after some editing that needed to be done. Now, with that said, actually, this will be a a perfect opportunity to, to go into the opening monologue for this week, and that is the fact that we, MTR, has received, well, we've actually had our one-star cherry broken on iTunes. Someone actually rated the show one star this week. Now, normally, I would come on here and be angry and upset and blah, 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 because, you know, nobody wants to see any sort of a record blemished in any particular way. But this particular person's gripe was warranted, but I also feel that it is um, pretty much uh, there's a little bit of misinformation with regards to it. So I'll actually go back into that shortly after I finish speaking with Lex, who I've been notified is on the line. So I'm going to bring him on now because I know he – has a couple of things to take care of, so I don't want to keep him on too late. Lex, you're on the air. Hey, man. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you? 
Uh, I'm doing fantastic, man. Uh, you know, always busy, always working hard, but, uh, you know, life is wonderful. So, uh, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I've been, uh, we've been trying to set it up for a while. I know last week, last week or the week before you were traveling to Chicago. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate Kelly pulling some strings and, and finally getting us to hook up. Uh, no, listen, my, my pleasure, man. I'm sorry that it took us a little while, but, uh, I'm all yours now and hopefully it's something we can do on a regular basis. Oh, absolutely. But for, with, with that said, first off, uh, Alchemist Management and Alchemist MMA are actually just two two different forks to the same to the same project. So, just give us a little bit of an overview of Alchemist as a whole and what you guys are all about, and pretty much g- give me a little bit of how you guys started. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, Alchemist is. You know, we really try to be a paradigm-shifting force uh, within the industry. Um, when I got into uh, MMA, I looked at what was an industry that was going through tremendous growth but was still had a lot of opportunities because there was not a tremendous amount of sophistication on the on the side of the managers um, who had been here. Um you know, my background is uh, I have an MBA, a law degree, worked at a firm, um, did venture capital, was an entrepreneur, you know, bring a lot of business uh, acumen to the table. Um, and that was something that was, was absolutely missing. So, you know, I was very fortunate to align myself with uh, MC Hammer, who is considered, uh, in addition to being the guy who sold 50 million albums, uh, he is uh, one of the foremost social media experts. Uh, and speaks routinely at Stanford, MIT, um, Oxford, all over the country, and, and frankly the world on the use of social media and marketing. Um, so I was, I was fortunate to connect with Hammer as well as to uh, Jeff Aronson, who is uh, CEO of Dash for Gold, uh, and he's considered uh, one of the top marketers in the world. So it was just a great union of, of really sharp folks who enjoy a, a, a deep-seated passion for MMA, and uh, we took a look you know, put the business hats on and took a look at what was going on in the space and said, you know, listen, there's some opportunity there. And in particular, there's opportunity on the uh, athlete representation front. So we put together a, a company and, you know, in less than a year, we were able to establish ourselves as one of the uh, front runners uh, within the industry um, by signing, you know, some really top-level athletes. And, and we're really proud of what we've done uh, to date. You know, we also have an apparel line that's doing some great things that we're excited about. Uh, and there's there's other business verticals that are in the works uh, besides just the, the management and the apparel. And, uh, you know, that's the great thing is we've got some time and there's lots of exciting things ahead. Well, one thing with that, I know, you, you know, you, you were also in the armed forces and, you know, you've had you've been in the trenches, you know, of course, defending our country. And now you're, you're you know, with your transition to the to the private sector, do you feel that, you know, being involved in the armed forces has given you an edge in terms of running this company and in terms of connecting with fighters, not just on a level of, from a management perspective, but also on the level where, where some of the of some of the fighters, whether it's in the UFC or otherwise, have com- have been in the armed forces and there there's a bit of an easier bonding experience from, from a management standpoint? You know, I mean, I think it certainly helps. Um, you know, one of the things that, I, I pride myself on is my military service. Um, I, I think that it, it's something that um, people should embrace and, and celebrate. 
Um, so I'm I'm very proud to work with uh, quite a few uh, top level athletes that are also prior uh, prior or current um, military folks. I mean, I've got two of them fighting uh, tomorrow night. Liz Carmouche is prior service Marine, served in Iraq. Uh, you know, she has got a great great fight against Sarah Kaufman in Strike Force. Uh, and then uh, Chad Robichaud is a Marine Force recon. He's uh, fighting in Legacy FC down in, in, in Houston. So we've got a couple of, you know, uh, military folks that are fighting. I think that my my experiences in the military have certainly helped to um, help me relate. You know, so I'm more than just a guy who happens to have, uh, you know, a lot of education and a lot of experience, uh, you know, in business. I'm also somebody who, you know, made 12 grand a year, you know, lived in a dirt hole, didn't shower for a month and got shot at. Um, it, it gives you a different perspective. and I think it, it's kept me humble. Um, and it's also taught me the importance of working very hard and advocating for the people who, who put themselves on the line uh, to do what they do. Well, as, it, as being a company, because I remember the announcement when, it, when Hammer, when it was announced that Hammer would be starting this management company and also uh, the clothing line as well, did you? What were some of the hurdles you've experienced along the way, just in terms of dealing with promotions and and signing fighters? Was it something where there was some relative ease, and if not, what was you know what was one of those memorable hurdles that you guys had to kind of overcome to get you to where you are right now? You know, I mean, it's an ongoing process. Um, I'm not going to say that things were, you know, uh, were easy or have been easy. You know, every day is is a fight. Um, But that's, you know, going back to my military background and Hammer's military background, I mean, Hammer served in the Navy for eight years. Uh, You know, our our VP of Communications, Kelly, you know, served in the Army for 20-some-odd years. We're a group of fighters, man. We're uh, a group of fighters who, who are very fortunate to work with fighters. So, uh, no, no day has come easy, but you know we enjoy every moment. Um, there's been, you know, I'd say countless hurdles. Uh, I think the biggest hurdle is is realizing that um, as long as as we don't get in our own way, we're going to be incredibly successful. And and sometimes that's easier said than done. You know, uh, you, you have to have the vision and and the foresight to allow yourself to be great. Um, if you get caught up in the small details, sometimes you you lose sight of your vision, uh, your, your vision. And I think you know that's always an obstacle for us is is to make sure we're staying on track with our grand vision and uh, you know not getting caught up in in in, in, the, in the small details sometimes. Uh, so, but beyond that, you know, we've been blessed, man. We've enjoyed great fortune. We've aligned ourselves with some tremendous fighters and uh, coaches and. and you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing, honestly. I mean, um, I'm looking forward to, you know, we've been in business over uh, just over a year now, and it's been excellent, and we've established ourselves as one of the absolute uh, top brands within the uh, industry. But I think there's so much more ahead for us, so I'm excited and, and waiting to see what the next opportunity brings. Well, one of the, one of the things I had to ask with, with regards to that is when you guys were – in the process of building this company and putting it together from and, and this is just going more into the business side. How did sure. you guys go about 
you know, raising, raising capital? Was it more angel investors or just, was it, you know, hammer putting in you guys collectively putting in uh, funding for that? Like how did, how did that building block come together to, to get Alchemist started? Um, so how Alchemist came to be, um, if I kind of step back and give you that answer, um, I think it'll, it'll lead you to kind of where we received, uh, you know, the, uh, the seed capital to start the company. Um, uh, about, I guess going on three years, uh, three years ago now, um, my, my father, and I say this with a great degree of humility, um, but my father was at McMahon. And, um, I, towards the end of his, his career in life, I negotiated a lot of his contracts. Um, and one of the contracts I negotiated was, uh, for his appearance in a Super Bowl commercial for a company called Cash for Gold. Uh, MC Hammer was also in that commercial. And, um, we met on the set, you know, the day of the shoot, it was, uh, you know, my dad, the CEO of Cash for Gold, Jeff Aronson, and uh, Hammer, and and we sat around talking about MMA. That was kind of, you know, the common bond, and uh, we hit it off. We had a, uh, a great time, developed a really good rapport. Jeff, Hammer, and I started going to fights together, and, you know, it, it, it kind of grew from there, and it, at a certain point, um, I was doing some writing uh, about MMA, and uh, Jeff Aronson saw some of my articles called me up and said, Hey, I'd like to do some sponsorship. I said, sure. And we, uh, embarked on about a year long, um, sponsorship campaign where, uh, we sponsored about 27 fighters and several promotions and, uh, you know, really learned the industry from the inside out. And through that process, uh, Jeff and I kind of had a conversation about, wouldn't it be better to, to spend money building a business as opposed to, just branding a business. And, um, from there, Jeff said, you know what, I'm going to put the money in and, and I'm going to bring hammer in and get him involved. And cause they had been working on some projects since the Super Bowl together and had enjoyed a great deal of success. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, Jeff Aronson has been incredibly successful. Um, you know, built a, um, great company in cash for gold, built several other companies before that. Um, he's considered, uh, you know, one of the, the top entrepreneurs in the country. Um, so he provided the resources as well as the, um, I think, the, the overall vision of where we were headed. And it's been nothing but uh, an amazing experience with, with a great team. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm taken aback by the fact that Ed McMahon is your dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll tell you what, man, he was, he was an incredible big, person, big, man. That, those are yeah. big shoes. <laughs> very big shoes, brother. Very big <laughs> shoes. But I'll tell you what, um, you know, our, our great bond was the fact that we were both Marines and, um, when, you know, his health, health was failing, he, um, you know, called me into the, the hospital room and, and he was a man who had never asked me for anything and always given and been just so gracious and kind. And, uh, he, he said, listen, the only thing I'm ever going to ask of you is that I wanted to be buried as a Marine by, by the Marines with you in uniform. Um, so I quickly, as his situation deteriorated and it was you know clear that he was going to pass, I, I called the Commandant of the Marine Corps and 
um, made the, the appropriate arrangements. The Marine Corps was incredibly uh, understanding of the situation. They got me down to Camp Pendleton to, to get me fitted to a uniform that was uh, would fit my my new and improved body style since I had not been in the military for several years. <laughs> and uh, and then they, they brought 50 Marines up, uh, many of whom are, were my friends. And um, they did an amazing color guard, an amazing ceremony. They had a two-star general come. Uh, really an incredible experience. And I, and I got to deliver his eulogy um, as he wished. And, and what he wanted and how I started out was, you know, he wanted to be remembered as a good entertainer but a great Marine. So, you know, for me, it's, it was one of my, the great honors of my life to be able to fulfill his one request, um, to be buried as a Marine. And, and, uh, you know, I'm thankful that I was given that opportunity and, and I was blessed to have him in my life because he was an amazing man. That's, that, that's, you know, that, that's a, that's a badass story. And it's funny, you, you know, you talk about your dad, like when, you know, before you, you had called, I was going to say that, Today's show I was dedicating to my mom who passed away. So it, it's funny that you share this story, you know, on air with us because it's, you know, it, it, it's a great motivation, motivational story, you know, that got, that pushed you a little harder, not only just to succeed on behalf of your dad, but just because you're, you're humble about where you came from. Like, you, in looking at your bio, that's not even mentioned. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, like, you're standing I'm on very, your I'm very, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the fact that he's my dad, but... Um, I, I never want that to be the reason that I'm succeeding. Absolutely, and I and I respect that man. You have my my utmost respect. That's 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 badass, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, brother. Thanks. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, and it was and it's funny because um, Amy in the chat had mentioned that she uh, she had at told at wanted me to ask you about Hammer's involvement with music because he was going to be starting a label before starting sure, sure. this management. Is he, is he still working on anything related to his music or is it more now full on, um, MMA? Well, I'll tell you one thing. MC Hammer may be the hardest working man I know. And I work hard and he, he's got me beat by a long shot. Um, he, is heavily involved in what we do um, regarding uh, the MMA company, uh, regarding Alchemist. Um, but he he has another uh, you know has a record label that he works with. He's got quite a few acts signed to. And he tours all the time. He, he speaks on social media and and marketing. Um, he's a um, very active uh, investor in the Silicon Valley. Um, does a lot of philanthropic work. Uh, Hammer's an, a, just an incredible guy. He really is boundless energy. Still very much involved in music. Uh, in fact, he and his son uh, Booby Hammer are uh, doing some uh, some cool tracks together now. And he's you know he's got quite a few um, acts that he he's helping to to bring up. One of them, Pleasure Ellis. Pleasure's like incredible. Like he's on. The guy hasn't actually officially you know, released a, a record yet, but he's got like 160,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, he's, he's very grassroots. His music's awesome. He goes out and, and tours with Hammer. And you know, they were in South Africa together touring. Uh, I think it was right before Christmas. Um, yeah, ha Hammer's incredible, and he's got great people around him. And, and I think he's going to, you know, continue to enjoy success in every, 
endeavor that he engages in. Uh, he's an incredibly, incredibly sharp and motivated man. Is he, are, are any of the artists he's been working on going to actively start putting out music now that, you know, now that he's more so involved with MMA and, and with, with regards to that, is it going to be something where some of that stuff is going to tie into some of the work you guys do? Like in terms of, yeah, you know, I, mean, walk, I, I, definitely, like I definitely think, I definitely think that you will see some crossover, uh, between the, the two businesses. Um, you know, at the end of it, sports is a form of entertainment. Music is a form of entertainment. There's a reason when you go to a UFC event, that the uh, excitement builds throughout the night until the main event comes. It's because the music's getting louder and louder and more intense. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's getting everybody there. And uh, hopefully the fights match up to it. And by the time you get to the main event, man, you, you're jumping out of your seat because it, it's just the intensity is incredible. That's by design. And, and, you know, music has a big part to play in that. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I mean, I, I'll certainly defer to uh, Hammer for in terms of what his plans are with music, but I know it's something that's a huge part of his life still. I mean, you have to keep in mind this is, you know, he he he, he sold more albums in his decade than anyone else. He you know was the first to hit that 50 million uh, uh, threshold. You know, that's five diamonds, man. He he's incredible. I mean, he's just what he's done in the music industry is, is amazing and he's continuing to do amazing things. So I think that both for hammer as well as, as the, the acts he's working with, um, you're going to see some, some more really cool things in the very near future. Well, one of the things that, that you, that you've mentioned thus far often is the use of social media. Now with that, with the level of engagement now available between Facebook and Twitter and, you know, even Google plus now, which we both use, it's it's become something where it gives you a level of transparency, which which I've said also with with an other organization I spoke to, which was Pure Fight Gear, that you guys run a very transparent organization. That was one thing. When I approached Kelly, I had wanted to talk to you about the Nate situation, but in just doing my research about you guys, I noticed that you guys ran a very transparent business, and that actually is something I I like seeing only because it gives you more insight and it helps you bond with the brand and not just with the fighters you represent. So what, where, where this is going is just the fact that how, how pivotal has, has social media been to your success and, you know, where do you guys look to go with social media to, to grow your business further? You know, I mean, it, it's uh, a huge part of who we are. And, you know, when you've got, you know, Hammer, who's got 2.2 million followers on Twitter, who, who speaks all across the world and, you know, is, is a, uh, consultant to uh, companies like uh, Twitter and, and Facebook, um, it would be a mistake not to make that a huge part of who we are. Um, so, you know, it's something that I've, I've learned and, and, and embrace. We encourage all of our, our athletes that we work with and coaches uh, to make it a huge part of who they are. Um, I think what's important to it is, and you, and you touched on it, is it's a great way to create engagement develop a very close bond with the fans, the customers, uh, other potential clients. I mean, it's, it's, it's just very open. It's an open dialogue. And for the people who understand how to, how to leverage it, it can be very powerful. Um, and so we, we work on that, you know, quite a bit. And, and when I approach sponsors, 
uh, you know, we, we frequently talk about how to create marketing initiatives that leverage social media uh, and or are built around social media platforms specifically. Um, you know, Brendan Schaub is one of the, one of the athletes that I work with. Um, he absolutely gets the use of social media. He understands it, embraces it, looks for new ways to do things. And the, the sponsors that we're working with get super excited by it, man. I mean, because it's a great way for them to engage a new demographic and, you know, a new fan base. And so it, it's powerful. And uh, we're going to continue to use it, continue to try to pioneer ways of, of working with social media within the industry and, um, you know, just continuing to, to have that transparency because I do think it is important. Uh, I think you touched on a really important point. You become imminently more believable when you make statements when you have a track record of, of public communication. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Brendan, we've had Brendan on the show before, Um and he he was on he was on the ball with regards to that, and he he's one of those guys, and it reflects on what you guys are trying to instill in your athletes. He came in, he knew how to answer the you know how to answer his questions. He didn't there were no fumbles, there were no miscues. He was you know one two three on the ball. So I think that the way you guys are managing your fighters is is evident just by the way you guys present yourselves, just honest and and forthcoming. He didn't buckle at any questions I asked. He was straight shooter and. It, it was funny because after we wrapped the interview, we I was like, wow, that was one of the quickest but one of the most informative <laughs> interviews I've had with, with a fighter only because he came in there and he, he was just ready to break it down and, and he laid it out. And I was like, wow, all right. You know, like we, like we blasted through it. But it wasn't something where I were myself or I felt that the audience got cheated because they got all their questions answered. Right, right. Now, man, he, listen, turns out the kid can fight like – he can straight out fight. He's going to be champion. I, I, I cannot wait for him to have that strap around his belt, around his waist, rather. But he's also, he, he's this amazing brand machine. Like, he understands what he needs to do, that, 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 that he is his own business. And he needs, needs to take accountability for preparing before he goes for an interview, Um you know, being engaged with the fans. I mean, he tells a story about the use of social media when we were at dinner with the sponsor, one of his uh, uh, kind of foundational sponsors in the form um, for his supplements, which is uh, Six Star Pro Nutrition. What sold them, other than the fact that he's a top fighter, is we were sitting at dinner with the head of their marketing department, and Brendan tells a story about the use of social media where he went to Starbucks, got on Twitter, and said, listen, you know, I'll be here buying coffees uh, for the next half hour. Uh, come on up, you know, and, and, and tell me a little bit about who I am and, and, and what my career has been. And he, he ended up buying like $250 worth of coffee at Starbucks. Uh, as people people were coming up and people follow him, it, it's, it, it's geographic, you know. I mean, he targeted to the area he was in and, Man, people, he said he got inundated and he bought a hell of a lot more coffee than he thought he was going to. But, you know, he did it and the light went off with the folks from Six Star because they saw somebody who understood the, the, the power of social media, the importance of engaging the fans directly. And, and then, you know, he could come in and articulate that whole experience to them in a compelling and cogent fashion um, that got them excited. So, I mean, when, when Brendan and I get the opportunity to go sit down, 
with a sponsor or with fans, man, it's exciting because I just sit back. I don't have to work too hard, man. He, the kid's on autopilot. <laughs> He's amazing. Well, that's funny because also, of course, that was a great promotional plug for Starbucks, which is which is good if you guys continue to do stuff like that because obviously certain avenues will open up even from that standpoint where companies can say, hey, you know, say that if, if you stop in here and you tweet it out, you know, we could do something. So it actually generates even the opportunity for more leads and more revenue for the fighters. So that's that's very important. I think that the the younger fighters coming up need to learn to embrace social media and use every angle of it in order to be successful. And you guys have, have pretty much captured that and are training. You guys are training your guys well, and the guys that already know are just making it easier for you, like you said. Sure, absolutely. Now, I want to get into a little bit, like I said, I want to discuss what happened with Nate because obviously that was really huge for you guys because you guys had to run around and, and answer so many questions and Sure. The, the, the only thing I, I want to get into, what, and, and I'll start with this first, obviously him kind of being unceremoniously dismissed on Twitter, I'm sure ruffled a few feathers. But when that entire situation went down, you know, where were you? What, what was your response? And what, 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 did you, uh, what did you decide to do first to, to kind of quell all the, the negative press that was snowballing out of control? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, I was at, at the weigh-ins with Nate. Um, we were, you know, working through the situation and, um, you know, I found out that the, that Dana had made the statements and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, that, that Dana was put in that position. I don't think at this juncture, um, neither Nate or myself, uh, you know, hold that against Dana. Um, he lost his main event. 20 minutes before weigh-ins. Absolutely. Dana was put in a he was put in a difficult position. Both Nate and I recognize that and appreciate that. And, and you know, Nate has come out uh, publicly um, and very sincerely apologized uh, and taken responsibility for for that event. So, you know, uh, the fact that that social media was uh, the platform used well. What a great way to communicate your message if you have to communicate a message. Uh, so Dana did that, and, you know, once that was done, you know, we quickly kind of gathered the troops and sat back down and said, okay, well, we now know where we are. What's next? And we put together a plan. Um, and it wasn't about getting out and, and saying things right away. We took our time, um, not a lot of time but we took our time to make sure that we were prepared to, to make a statement that, that Nate was, you know, he had collected himself so that he was in a position to, to be calm and, and to go out and answer, answer tough questions honestly and openly, and which is exactly what he did when he sat down with Ariel. I mean, Nate bared his soul. That was a tough day for him, but, you know, I, I give him a tremendous amount of, of, of credit because he could have taken a different approach and, and he chose to take the tougher road because, um, the fans deserved uh, to understand what had happened, and, and, and they gave them a very candid explanation. Um, you know, but we, we had a plan that was put in place that said, you know, first and foremost, we're going to figure out our, our, our approach to this. Second, we're going to communicate our story, um, get Nate in front of the fans, let them know what happened. And then we were going to sit back and, and, and start looking for 
uh, you know, the next opportunity. And, and the great thing is, Nate tweeted out earlier today that that next great opportunity is going to be announced tomorrow. Um, so, you know, we've been over the past few weeks, you know, we've been working very hard. I mean, another key piece of the information or the puzzle was that we got Nate off a of suspension in less than three weeks. Uh, so a little bit over two weeks after the date that he was put on suspension, we were able to show that, that, you know, Nate was where he needed to be, that he had met all the medical requirements, that he wasn't trying to deceive anyone, um, because he had disclosed everything throughout the process. Um, once we turned all over all the documents uh, that had been requested by Pennsylvania, you know, Nate, Nate was cleared and we didn't get fined. And I think that goes a long way to showing that he was being honest. He was just caught in a tough situation for which he's taken responsibility. Um, but, you know, once we got Nate cleared, we really began actively looking at what our options were. And, um, you know, <laughs> this is an amazing thing. Here's a guy who got fired, you know, in front of the world. Um but yet we now had 16, uh, I mean, I had a spreadsheet that Nate and I went through today prior to, you know, making some decisions. We had a spreadsheet with 16 different offers on the table. Um, wow. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. There was a couple of them that looked at. You're like, wait, well, what promotion is this? Where? How much money? <laughs> but uh, that was only a few. We had really a lot of just awesome offers, people who stepped up and got super excited about the fact that, that here's one of the top fighters in the world who is a free agent, is available, is coming off of a win. And although, that, yeah, the circumstances of him becoming available was difficult, you know, he, he was quickly cleared and vindicated. And, and so now, you know, hey, let's get this guy out there fighting because you know what? He draws amazing amounts of numbers when, he, when he's on TV and when people want to go see Nate Marquardt. So, you know, it's been a lot of hard work, a lot of late nights. Um, we've been fielding offers from all over the world. Um, but we felt that today when we sat down, we had reached a point where we had enough information. We had some tremendous offers, some very lucrative offers that put Nate, frankly, in a better position in some respects economically uh, than he was before. And has him positioned to do some really exciting and fun things. And, um, you know, so we're looking forward to Nate being able to make that announcement tomorrow. And I'd say stay tuned. You're going to hear a lot more out of Nate Marquardt uh, because, you know, he is one of the top fighters in the world. And I believe in the, in the power of redemption. And, and Nate's done the difficult work already to, to start that, that journey to redemption you know, by bearing his soul to, to the world to see on the Ariel Hawani show, uh, by getting cleared and, and, and removed from suspension, you know, in just such a short period of time, um, by getting out there and, you know, engaging fans and, and then getting all these opportunities to go back to work doing what he loves to do. Um, he's going to win titles. He's going to make some great headlines. And we'll see where Nate ends up. But i got to be honest. Wherever that is, it's going to be exciting, and you're going to hear a lot of great things about Neymar Court, and that'll be a powerful story. Well, damn, now I'm pumped for tomorrow. Now while I'm at work, i got to keep an eye out for the announcement. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> man, for sure. But um, I, it, with regards to that, and, and here's a couple of things. Obviously, this situation with him 
put a huge spotlight on, you know, testosterone replacement therapy and, and things of that nature. Do you, how did you guys feel from just a, a standpoint with the, with the medical, with the medical team that was involved, uh, getting Nate prepared for this fight and kind of this slipping through the cracks, so to speak, where his levels weren't at an acceptable level. And not only that, but did you feel that, that the doctors should have been more forthcoming with the information? I know that there's, you know, doctor patient confidentiality issues, but just in terms of the doctor stepping up and explaining it, do you think that that would have been something that would have helped shed light on it a little sooner and keep it from snowballing? Or did you prefer that, you know, Nate go out there and, and be the consummate professional and just handle it and shoulder it himself? Well, listen, if you make excuses, you have other people talk for you. Um, it's probably not going to go as well. Nate did the right thing. Nate did what Dana told him he needed to do. Get out there and tell the world what happened. Um, so Nate went out and did that. It was, it was good advice that Dana provided. Um, you know, it was a difficult thing for, for Nate to have to do. Um, but he understood it was important and having a doctor or someone else get out there and talk, uh, would not have been helpful to the situation. Um, you know, here's the thing is we worked very closely with the doctors, with the commission, you know, everyone disclosing everything that Nate was doing. And, and ultimately, you know, one of the things that, that has been looked at was, uh, the choice of doctor and, and how we ended up there. Listen, it, it happened. It's, it's unfortunate. Nate uh, has accepted his responsibility in the whole thing. Um, but he's learned from it and will, will grow. And here's a great thing there, you know, this is a, a country, uh, built on second chances. Nate Markwood's going to get a second chance and, and get out there to really, uh, shine and, and tell his story. And it's going to be exciting to see. You know, in terms of what happened, it happens. Can't change it. So no, why, yeah, spend more yeah. time, you know, why spend time on it? You know, it's he'll grow from it, he'll learn from it, and move on. Oh, I, no, I mean, I, I, I agree with where you're coming from. My, it, me, me, I guess, you know, there's a little bit of just some, uh, personal feeling coming into the question just from the fact that, you know, if, I, if I'm there and, and this is my livelihood and because you decided to, you know, not follow FDA protocols and administering my therapy, you just basically got me fired, you know, I'd be a little pissed. I guess I was, I, I guess I, I was kind of putting up my, my own personal touch on the question. That That's where I, I was going with it. Just from when, when you guys as a management team go to these, went to this doctor and, you know, whoever it was at the time, I'm like, dude, you know, what happened? How did you go and not follow these guidelines? I'm sure there must've been, a, <laughs> you must've been a little, a little, a little warm under the collar, you know? Sure. I mean, listen, there are certainly, um, there's certainly those conversations were had, but you know, at, at the end, we can't change what happened. The best we can do is learn from it, have Nate go out and accept his responsibility in it, which he's done. And, you know, look for the, the next great opportunity and look for that powerful story of redemption. And that's, that's what Nate's doing. You know, he's, he, he's so focused on, you know, his family, he's, he's married and has two kids and has a third on the way. And he's just figuring out, okay, how do I move past this so I can get back to being a provider for my family and uh, being a great role model? And that, that's, that's what he's focused on, man. Well, with regards to that, 
what what were what were your thoughts on Bjorn Rebney's commentary with regards to you know Bellator not being a fit for Nate? Because quite honestly, I felt Bellator would have benefited from Nate being involved. I mean, you know, you had guys like Ben Askren calling him out, et cetera, et cetera. I think that 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 had money written all over it. How did you how did you feel seeing something like that put out publicly and not you know just addressed behind closed doors? Well, you know, I responded to to those comments publicly as well. And yep. I, I think that what is is key to understand is no matter what anybody says, objectively, if you look at it, Nate Marquardt is one of the top fighters in the world. He's one of the top drawing television fighters in the world. He's one of the most highly marketable fighters in the world. How is that man not a right fit for any organization? That's what I said when I read the comment. (laughs) So, you know, obviously there was other issues at play. um, And I I have a tremendous amount of respect for Bjorn and and the Bellator organization. Um, You know, we've had detailed conversations with them. And um, all all I will say is is I I respect the organization a great deal, but I disagree with Bjorn on that point. Um, Nate Marquardt's a fit for anywhere any promotion and whatever promotion he ends up with is going to greatly benefit because he will help build their brand, but he will also be a tremendous brand ambassador. Um, and he will bring thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of new fans to that promotion. So it's exciting. And, uh, you know, in terms of not being a fit, well, (laughs) you know, we'll we'll see once, uh, we announce where Nate's at, uh, tomorrow. Nice. Well, that, that, that's why I figured I, you know, I wanted to jump into that. The other thing I, I wanted to go into also, of course, Liz is fighting. It has the fight coming up. And one thing I wanted to ask with, with regards to just women's MMA and you guys branching out into, you know, representing female fighters also is that just from a management standpoint, where do you, where do you guys feel women's MMA needs to be in order to succeed? I've always felt that there's needs to be, an active search for more talent because I just feel that when women's MMA is showcased, it's always talked about as a special attraction match as opposed to just a fight. No, I mean, I think that's a great observation. You know, there, there, there's plenty of, of talented women out there. Um, they just don't have as many platforms to be showcased on. Um, right. But I'll tell you, I mean, there's, you look at a, a, a gal like Liz, I mean, she takes the fight against Conan in just, you know, a couple weeks notice and goes out and pulls the chill sun. And I mean, beats, yep. you know, beats, beats Conan just mercilessly, you know, round after round after round. And then kind of in the last minute gets caught and, 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 uh, you know, same, same darn move. But I'll tell you what, she certainly, that loss was one of the best things that ever happened to her because now everybody knows who she is and they know that she really should be the champion. And, and, you know, I got to tell you, the, the fight with Sarah tomorrow night's tough, but, man, Sarah better walk out, man. Watch out because Liz Carmouche is coming, and, and she's got a great a great tagline on her Twitter, have fists, will travel. Um, you know, that girl's attitude is just, I'm going to get after it, I'm going to make things happen, and, and that's exciting. And I think that you see a, there are a lot of women that are out there like Liz, um, and it's just how do you find find them? You know, and so I think as the sport evolves and grows even more, 
there'll be more and more women training, more and more women participating, and then you'll have more and more high-quality uh, female fighters. Well, yeah, because that that's the thing. When I, Whenever I hear it, and that's why I, I brought that observation up, it's always, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a special attraction instead of just, hey, you know, this is a fight on our card. So I, I, I wanted to get your take on it from a management perspective because you, you obviously – with regards to a business promoting women's MMA is is crucial because you're capturing that that uh, the you know the female demographic which yeah you can say the sport is popular between males 18 to 18 to 36 or or 18 to 40 but you do want that female demographic involved because money money's green whether it comes from from a guy or from a girl so well that and you know typically uh Females control buying patterns within the households, so right. you know you, you win them over. You're gonna you're gonna get more uh, eyeballs on the pay per view events and all those sorts of things. Um, but here's the thing: from a management perspective, I just want to work with the best. I want to work with the best athletes who are the best people, um, male, female, man, it doesn't matter. I, I just I, I I happen to think Liz is a phenomenal fighter. Um, and she's an incredible person. And uh, what what more would you want in a client, in a friend, um, to than to have someone who's really kind of at the top of the food chain in their profession, as well as just a cool person to be with? You know, I mean, listen, that's I really only work with people I believe in and and, and that I like because I work really hard. I mean, you know, look, man, I don't even know what time it is. But, Midnight, twelve thirty. I'm on the phone with you instead of in bed with my family, you know, <laughs> with my wife and and uh, all that good stuff. But I do it because I love it, and I uh, I love and believe in the the fighters that I work with. I mean, as we were talking, I actually just got a picture of of Liz uh, at Wayans, and I got another picture of Chad Robichaux in the sauna. You know, I mean, they they send me stuff. Hey, man, check this out. Look what's going on. You know, I mean that's. That's what you want, man. You know, you, you want to have that sort of a situation where, where you guys are invested into one another, where as a manager, I, I, I'm a part of everything that's going on in their lives and vice versa, you know. Um, you know, I, I never forget that I work for, for my clients, um, but it, it, it's nice when you can have a really good personal relationship as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have a lot of guys on your roster who I'm – I'm 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 big fans of you know Ovis St. Prue of course who, who's a huge rising star every time every time he fights it's always exciting this is a guy that never rests it's like yeah you gotta you can fight next week I'll be like yeah sure no problem I'll fight next week like like that's yeah OSP awesome. gets after it man that kid gets after uh, it he's he's a beast but but one one of my favorite guys and and I'm a little biased is Jorge Rivera um, that's my boy like, man yeah he's one of he's one of my favorite Puerto Ricans in MMA. <laughs> um, he, you know, his the the way he sold the, the you know a fight with with Michael Bisping is just ridiculous. That the level of the level of trash talking with that is good, and you know that that was definitely approaching you know Chael Sonnen levels of of trash talking. So I, I was really impressed with what Jorge did. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I'm a, I'm a big yeah. fan of his. Uh, no, listen, I mean Jorge's a guy who has you know had this amazing story, you know, ups and downs, you know, tons of great fights and tough fights, you know, personal tragedy, but he comes back and he ends up on top every single time. And he's the person that people want to root for. 
because he puts on exciting fights, but yet he's a, he's a good dude. And, um, you know, and Warrior was my first client, the first guy I started working with, man. And, and you know, I, I, bit, uh, I bend over backwards to um, create success for him because he's just, you know, he's like my brother, man. And I, I think the world of him, and I think he's an incredible fighter, and it's fun to watch him fight. And, you know, uh, again, if you can have that kind of relationship with the people you work with, life is good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, considering he's one of your first clients, you know, it's it's crazy that he's been he's been with you through through the long road, so to speak. Like you can have a, a thousand other fighters, but that one guy that started when you were just starting is the guy that you got to look out for. And you know, I respect that because you you never forget where you came from. No, absolutely, man. You can't. You can't. Um, last question. I know that 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 Vladdy got injured, and I was actually looking forward to see him fight. How's he doing? Um, what kind of a recovery time is he looking at? You know, um, Vladdy's doing good. You know, he's a uh, he's a surly Russian, so he was disappointed that he wasn't fighting, but he was also realistic that you know you can't take these fights lightly. You know, I mean, the UFC's got about 300 fighters in it. Uh, those are 300 of the best fighters in the world. So no matter who you're fighting, you can't take it lightly. Um, you know, so he, he's. You know, he's disappointed he didn't get the fight, but he understands that there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him to fight. And, um, you know, he's looking he's looking forward to get back in the cage. We don't think it'll be too long. Um, you know, he's he's had the uh, requisite medical tests done and, um, you know, seeing his doctor for the treatment. And, and we, we think hopefully, you know, it'll be sooner rather than later. That's awesome, man. You can, uh, you can wish him some well wishes from us. I like watching him fight. That KO... And his last fight was ridiculous. Yeah. Who, 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 I mean, just Vladdy in Toronto, man, it was amazing. 55,000 people going nuts for that. Oh, they went bananas. I was like, and, and I didn't even expect it. Not to say that, that Vladdy doesn't have, uh, you, you know, serious serious KO power, but it was so sudden and, and, and so crazy. It's like I blinked. I'm like, holy crap, that guy's unconscious. He was flattened out. Yep, for sure, man. That was a, that was a fanboy moment. But, um... Lex, you know, I, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on and talk with us. And um, I actually, you know, if I get an opportunity, I want to hit you up off air because I have some questions from, from a business standpoint, if you don't mind answering for me. Yeah, no no, no problem, man. Um, you know, uh, I think you yeah, both my email and, and my number. If not, Kelly will give it to you. Uh, just, you know, just hit me on Twitter and, uh, you know, I'll get, I'll get you all the info and we can definitely wrap. My pleasure, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely want to pick your your brain on a few things, but you know, I want to thank you for coming on. You know, thank thank you for serving your country, of course, and uh, just just for being a, a, a one of the coolest CEOs I've spoken to. <laughs> well, uh, let, let me be honest. Hammer's a CEO. I'm just the president, man. And right. it's, trust me, it's not it's not that it's not that glamorous of a job. I mean, the big joke was I was doing an interview. I think it was uh, with with Yahoo. And um, I was on the phone, and Jeff, who's our our investor, uh, you know, our offices are connected, and he wasn't there. And I was out walking his dog, and his dog. I'm in the middle of taking this interview, and his dog, you know, is in the middle of going to the bathroom, and I'm trying to deal with that. But I'm on the phone doing an interview with Yahoo, you know, talking about the company and. You know, and the guy, the guy I was doing the interview with said, well, you know, wow, man, you know, MC Hammer and Jeff Aaron, that's some pretty prestigious company. I said, man, my job's not that glamorous. I'm about to pick up dog shit. Give me a break. 
Well, you, well, you know what? In, 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 in saying it like that, you, you continue to, to emulate that you're humble about it because you can just as easily, <laughs> easily, yeah, you know, I'm sitting in my car, you know, just hanging out. and Nope, walking this dog, picking up some crap. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> Works for me. Well, but but nonetheless, man, it's been it's been a pleasure. And by all means, you know, you and any of your fighters have an open door to come on and and chat with us. And I'm sure you know the listeners would love it as well. All right, brother. We'll, we'll definitely do that, and we'll keep in touch. All right. Take care. Yeah, I'll, I'll drop you an email. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Yep. Cheers. All right. Bye. All right, guys. That was Lex McMahon. He is president of Alchemist Management and Alchemist MMA. You can check them out at alchemistmgmt.com. You can also check out Alchemist Clothing as well to get more information. You can also follow Lex on Twitter. His, uh, I believe it is Lex McMahon MMA on Twitter. I don't have Twitter open because my computer may just have like a stroke. Um, actually, it is. It is actually at Lex McMahon MMA on Twitter. So definitely hit him up, let him know that we sent you. Let him know that, you know, he's doing a good job with his with his guys and you can follow him and some of his management team on there as well. You can follow Kelly Krieger also on Twitter. You can probably just look in my timeline and find those guys there. But when we do the MTR rewind, you'll be able to see um the links for the interview there as well. I'm actually going to take a commercial break because I need some water and when we get back I will finish up the monologue and we can get into some other MMA news. We got to go through some wrestling stuff because there's a lot. We got movie news. Oh, man, it's going to be we're going to try and bang it all out tonight for sure, guys. Um, We'll be right back after this. I wonder what's on tonight even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people. I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know, Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, and we're back. As I said before, I was joined by Lex, and this was regarding the the monologue for this week. Um, Like I said, the one-star cherry on iTunes was broken with a review put on iTunes with regards to shows being posted late on iTunes. Now, this particular person stated that, you know, he was a little upset that some of the shows that were recorded late in June or in June were being posted in July. And as such, to clarify for him and for any others, I just want to give you guys a little bit of background into what goes into taking MTR from Blog Talk Radio and throwing it on something like iTunes and the app. It's not as easy as taking the audio and dumping it in there because I'll be 100% honest with you guys that the audio that Blog Talk Radio generates is horseshit. Most of the time when you download it, it's a mono file, it's a low quality. From a download standpoint, when you play it on the on the on on streaming, it sounds good, but the downloadable version is not that clean. So what do we do with that? Usually when the show wraps, it takes at least a a half an hour to an hour for the show to be posted on Blog Talk Radio, sometimes a little longer, at which point I have to download it, run it through a program called Audacity, clean it up, export it as a wave, run it through a program called Leveler to level out all the sound, 
because obviously there are going to be highs and lows. Take that wave, put it back through Audacity, export it as an MP3. In addition to that, that gets posted to a service called Libsyn. That's right, I'm giving you guys the complete rundown. Libsyn, in turn, puts it on iTunes and on our app. Now, here's the issue with Libsyn. Libsyn, based on the program we have, we are allocated 525 megabytes a month. So since we're adding so much content, we tend to go over. And as such, we kind of get penalized because we can't upload any more stuff. So with that, what goes into that? What can we do to remedy that? Well, obviously, the next step will be purchasing more space from Libsyn, which I'm going to be doing because we're going to be doing more behind the mic and beyond the mic stuff. So we're going to need the space, and we're going to probably buy at least a gig of space per month to put tracks on there. The reason for the delays, sometimes we go over and we can't post new episodes on Libsyn. That's something we got to deal with. You get MTR behind the mic and beyond the mic, and that's some of the things that go in there. Not to mention Minority Film Report as well. There's some episodes that we edit that you can't save because people have shitty cell phone reception, um, shit with Skype, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to give you guys a glimpse into my day into doing the show. And this isn't something where I can go and tell Slick or Andrea or any of our staff, hey, take this audio file and clean it up, because they got their own shit to do too. I have a job. I have responsibilities. So that's how things work. That's the glimpse into what happens with MTR behind the scenes. In addition to that, you still got to add content for the site, got to post stuff on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and try and get guests, guest booking, et cetera, et cetera. Luckily for us, we have a fantastic team you know, that helped me out, one of which is Slick, who it's officially midnight, and we would all like to wish Slick a happy birthday. If you're in the chat, wish my buddy Slick a happy birthday. I uh, want to take a moment and say thanks for all the hard work he does. This guy comes home at 10 o'clock at night from work, hops on to do the show with me till 2 in the morning to wake up to go to work just like the rest of us. So happy birthday to you, Slick. Thank you for everything that you do. In regards to the one-star review, I'm not mad, I'm not annoyed, but I just feel that listeners are uninformed as to what goes into making MTR happen every week. Sure, shit falls through the cracks. Sometimes shit is late. But to educate you, the listener, if you really, 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 really need to hear the show ASAP tomorrow, just hit the Blog Talk Radio page and you'll be able to check it out there. You'll get the newest episode it won't be in stereo and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but you'll get the newest episode. If you want to get the newest episode through iTunes and you don't want to wait for the update, you can take the RSS feed from Blog Talk Radio, toss it into iTunes, boom. It'll update every time a new episode is posted. It's as easy as that. My only gripe is that I don't want to give you guys shitty audio quality, and I don't want to give the people that are paying for our app shitty audio quality. It's, it's a me measure of quality control. If somebody else was around to edit audio, you guys would probably get it faster. But that's what I wanted to let you guys know with regards to what goes into the show. It's not just record on Blog Talk Radio, download it, and put it on the app. There's editing. There's shit that's got to get cleaned up. Sometimes, you know, we fuck, sometimes we fuck up audio. It happens. Like, sometimes I'll look and I'll be like, ooh, I kind of muted myself there for five minutes, and I got to go and delete the mutes. I got to delete the times when I oh and um at least six or seven times, which is impossible, especially when you're me. But um, that's what goes into it. And I just wanted to give you guys a glimpse into that, not because 
I don't wish to give you guys the show sooner, but because there are other factors, some beyond my control, that I have to address. And like anything else, shit costs money. Easy as that. But I digress. I'm not going to sit here and beat things up. And like I said to Lex when we were talking about his dad, um, the, you know, the, the 21st, now the 22nd, it's my mom's birthday. She would have been 66 today. So tonight's show is dedicated to her. She made me who I am. All this piss and vinegar you hear on the air is a product of just being raised the way I was. So this brutal honesty and shit, she made me this way. So you guys can thank her for me being one of the rudest motherfuckers you know. <laughs> but besides the fact, let's get into it. Monologue is over. Let's talk some MMA. We got some wrestling. We got some movies. Let's get right into it. With some MMA stuff, let's take it away and get it jumping. All right, let's talk some MMA. Of course, one of the first things that I wanted to discuss was what Bellator said, uh, what Bellator CEO Bjorn Redney said about Nate Marquardt, about him not being a good fit. Of course, I addressed that with Lex, and I just wanted to give my opinion on it. I, I feel that Nate Marquardt is an exciting fighter, has a ton of potential, can go and be in title contention in any organization he goes to, and I'm not even saying it because I had his management on. It's fact. And for... Bellator to just say he's not a good fit, eh. especially with a guy like Ben Askren calling him out. That's a money fight right there. It would have been something that would have gotten people jumping immediately. It would have raised Bellator's profile, especially because I don't know how many people are checking him out on MTV, too. I know it's a lot. Hell, I'm one of them. I love that organization. I think that they have a great medium and a great approach at their disposal, I, you know, being on MTV2 is a gift and a curse, obviously, because MTV2 is not not the way to, to do things. But, hey, you get whatever network deal you can, and you run with it. Spike TV wasn't always as awesome as it is today. We all know that. I remember when it was, I think, the national network at one point, which was complete horse shit, and then it turned to Spike TV. And in its infancy, they had some really shitty programming, and now they've become a, a, a pretty badass network. So... I'm sure wherever Bellator goes, whether it's remaining on MTV2 or Spike TV, they can only help that network grow. But I think that Bjorn Rebney, in this particular instance, uh, wasn't right. I think Nate Marquardt, whatever organization he goes to, is a great asset. And I'm, I'm, I was really bummed that he would say something like that, especially publicly. But it is what it is. As I said in speaking to Lex, Vladimir Matyshenko is injured. He had to actually withdraw from UFC 133 and will be replaced by Matt Hamill. Matt Hamill is going to be fighting Alexander Gustafson, and Gustafson has a good record. He's 3-1 and one with the only loss he had was at the hands of Phil Davis. So definitely an exciting fight. And Hamill coming off that, that one-sided decision loss to Rampage should be a, an exciting fight. I think Hamill is a guy that you never go know what you're going to get. I've said it a thousand times. Sometimes I go in there, I'm like, ah, He's not going to go in there and have an exciting fight, and he does. So 
it, that, that's definitely going to be a great fight, and that's going to be UFC 133 in Philly. And the main event is going to be uh, light heavyweight contenders Rashad Evans and Tito Ortiz in the main event. Now, my buddy Kimbo Slice hasn't been mentioned on the show in a while. Obviously, he withdrew from MMA. There were rumors that he would go into boxing. There were rumors he'd go into wrestling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Turns out Kimbo Slice will be returning to the ring, the boxing ring, and he'll be doing that in August. He's going to be fighting against James Wade in a four-round main event at the Buffalo Casino in Miami, Oklahoma, on August 13th. So it's going to be real interesting just to see Kimbo in, in, in a boxing ring, only because I think that his transition to MMA would have, would have definitely been successful. I think he had an incredible amount of pressure there. And I kind of feel that, the, that Dana White wanted to use it as an experiment. And the first chance he got, he cut him, which you can look at a few ways. I mean, his performance, his, you know, his last performance with Mitrione was terrible. But he definitely has awesome stand-up. And who knows, he may have a great career in boxing. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. And that's going to be happening in Miami, Oklahoma on August 13th. Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard have both been cleared to lock up finally at UFC 136 in Houston. They will be fighting in the main event. Both guys, of course, they fought in, they've had a couple of fights already with uh, their first fight in 2008, in which Maynard gave Frankie Edgar his first loss. Then earlier this year, they met again, and um, they ended up going fight of the year, but it was put as a split draw. So at this point, a third fight is a no-brainer. It was originally scheduled to go down at UFC 130, but injuries definitely eliminated both guys from that. So UFC 136 is going to be happening October 8th at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. On that card also is a badass fight between Chael Sonnen and Brian Stan, which I'm super excited to see that fight. In addition to that, get this, Kenny Florian will be challenging Jose Aldo, that fight is now official as well. Kenny Florian is, you know, was a staple in the lightweight division, now dropping to featherweight. Uh, he already secured his first featherweight victory with a decision win over Diego Nunes. This is his third UFC title shot. Florian is now 35 years old. He fought Sean Shirk for the lightweight strap and BJ Penn as well for the lightweight strap. Now, I really... I don't dislike Kenny Florian. I'm going to be 100% honest. I'm just not a fan of his. I don't hate him. or I just don't like him. That's it. That's it. It's not, there's no reasoning. Like, I don't think that he's a scumbag or anything. I just, I just don't like him. Like, sometimes you see somebody and you're like, you know what? I don't like that dude. I don't, I don't know if it's the way he presents himself. I also kind of get the vibe that he's jumping from division to division to get a belt, which I, some people may disagree. It just, again... My my opinion on it is that I kind of feel he's dropping down to uh, featherweight, thinking that he can take the belt from Jose Aldo, and if he thinks that, he is fucking nuts because Jose Aldo will whoop his ass. I don't know what Simple Jack is thinking, but he definitely is not taking the belt from Jose Aldo. But I can't I would say, you know sit here and say that it's 100% certain that Jose Aldo will retain because who knows what will happen. Kenny Florian may come in there and, you know, punch him in his fucking heart <laughs> and, and kill him for, for, for argument's sake. But, but Jose Aldo is on a whole other level, but Florian may come motivated at featherweight and do his thing, but 
personally, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of his, and I have no problem admitting that. Also, another exciting fight, Anthony Showtime Pettis is going to be meeting Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens at UFC 136 also. Of course, Pettis was the final WEC lightweight champion, and he defeated Ben Henderson and recently suffered a loss from Clay Guida. But Stevens is, is also an exciting fighter. He got two knockout-of-the-night bonuses and one fight-of-the-night bonus. He's knocked out Marcus Davis. He defeated Danny Downs via decision. That, that fight has fireworks written all over it. I think UFC 136 from top to bottom is exciting between Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard, Jose Aldo and Florian, Sonnen and Stan, Melvin Gallard and Joe Lazan, which was recently announced, uh, Damian Maya and Jorge Santiago, Josh Grisby, Josh Grisby and Matt Grease also, and Dave Herman and Mike Russo. UFC 136 is going to be stacked. Super pumped for it. I think that Jose Aldo and Kenny Florian are going to go in there and do their thing. And Edgar and Maynard, there's not going to be a draw this time. I think one of these guys is going home in a bag. That's because there's so much... There's so much pent-up frustration, not, not from an animosity standpoint, but just from the standpoint that these guys have been on the shelf and they want to get this out of the way and move on. It's like anything else. I think they're just tired of fucking looking at each other. But you'll be able to check that out October 8th, and if you're in Houston, Texas, you'll be able to get a first-hand seat at the Toyota Center. In some other UFC news, Antonio Rogerio Noguera suffered a shoulder injury and had to, had to withdraw from UFC 133. His opponent, Rich Franklin, they were looking for an opponent for him, but unfortunately they did not find one, so they actually removed Rich Franklin from the card. So now the main event is going to be Vitor Belfort against Yoshihiro Akiyama. That's been moved into the main event spot. And the welterweight fight with Brian Ebersol and Dennis Hallman has been moved to the pay-per-view card as well. UFC Fight Night 26, which is going to be in Birmingham, Birmingham, England. Oof, I pronounced that. Birmingham, excuse me, Birmingham, England, is coming together quite nicely. It's going to be the first five-round uh, main event fight with Chris Lieben meeting Mark Munoz. And that's going to be, well, it was actually changed. It's going to be UFC 138. Sorry, I fucked that up. And then November 19th, you're going to have UFC 139 with Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos. Great month of fights in November. I, I think that Munoz and Lieben is going to be fireworks. Those guys got immense KO power. And honestly, I'm hoping that this, if, if Lieben secures himself a victory, he can get himself into some title contention. Lieben has really changed his game up. He's a completely different fighter from the days of the Ultimate Fighter, but he goes out there and has exciting fucking fights. So I really would like to see Chris Lieben get a, a title opportunity or at least a, a, a number one contender spot, maybe with a, with another fight. I would have liked to have seen Lieben get in there with, um, with Chael Sonnen, but you know, Chael Sonnen and Brian Stan would be, is, is just as good. But I think Lieben and Sonnen would have been ridiculous only because there would have been some, some good trash talking and there would have been some awesome stand up as well. In some Bellator news, Bellator 47 was finalized. It's going to be happening this Saturday at the Casino Rama in Ontario, Canada, and you'll be able to watch that on MTV2. On the main card, you've got Nazareno uh, Malagari. He's going to be fighting Marlon Sandro, who I'm a huge fan of. Pat Curran and Ronnie Mann are also going to be fighting. Those are going to be featherweight tournament semifinals. you also got Neil Grove and Zach Jensen and Chris Hordecki versus Chris Saunders. That's on your main card, so you'll be able to check that out on MTV2. Strikeforce announced that their 
Fedor versus Hendo card is completely official now with 10 bouts. You'll be able to check that out on Showtime Saturday, July 30th. Excited to see Fedor fight. Um, main event is Dan Henderson and Fedor. for the. It's going to be a heavyweight non-title fight. Marlos Kunin and Misha Tate are going to meet for the women's welterweight title. You also got Tim Kennedy and Robbie Lawler, Paul Daly and Tyron Woodley, which I'm pumped for. Semtex is coming in there trying to do his thing. Both of these guys, now that the belt has been vacated by Nick Diaz, are hungry to get a belt around their waist. So that fight has fireworks written all over it. And Tarek Safadine and Scott Smith round out the Showtime card. On the prelims, you got Lyle Beerbaum and Jay-Z Cavalcante fighting. You also got um, Julie Kedzie and Alexis Davis also on the prelims. I actually would have liked to have seen that Lyle Beerbaum, uh, Jay-Z Cavalcante fight on Showtime, but we can't all get what we want. That's going to wrap up the MMA news. I'm going to take another commercial break. When we get back, we are going to talk some wrestling because there's actually quite a few things that we need to discuss with regards to that right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and... Uh, Void of fake laughter. Video game news radio. 11 p.m. Tuesday nights. On all games. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. All right. Let's open it up with WWE's Money in the Bank which was honestly one of the best WWE pay-per-views I've seen in a while. That's not WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble or SummerSlam. I was pleasantly surprised at not only the outcomes, but the way the matches went down. And I'm just going to jump a little bit into a few matches. I'm not going to run down the whole card because obviously we all know what fucking happened. But I do want to address the Money in the Bank matches and, of course, the main event. Uh, the SmackDown Money in the Bank with Kane, Justin Gabriel, Daniel Bryan, Sincata, Wade Barrett, uh, Heath Slater, Sheamus, and Cody Rhodes was a surprisingly solid opener. There were a lot of awesome spots. Sheamus powerbombing Sincata through a ladder was ridiculous. He ended up getting the stretcher job out of the match. And a 450 splash from, what the fuck is his name again? Ugh. From Justin Gabriel was ridiculous onto Kane off the ladder. I was I, there were definitely a, a bunch of holy shit moments, but that 450 splash off the ladder was very well done. And I was also impressed with Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes had an awesome showing in that match. He's definitely growing into a solid upper mid Carter. And who knows, maybe within the next two or three years, we'll see Cody Rhodes in some title contention. Now, the ending was very surprising because Daniel Bryan ended up securing the briefcase to win the match for the SmackDown Money in the Bank. Very happy with Daniel Bryan winning just because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a huge Ring of Honor fan. Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, however you want to look at it, is a tremendous wrestler. His mic work isn't great, but his, the quality of his wrestling speaks volumes about his ability. And the only thing that concerns me with him winning is that he's going to be one of the first guys, and it, I really hope they don't do it, he's going to be one of the first guys that cashes in the money in the bank and loses because that's that's how wwe does business but 
I was actually happy to see him win. Um, the Big Show and Mark Henry match was a train wreck. Kelly Kelly and Brie Bella was also a train wreck in my eyes. It, it was, you know, it was what it was. It was filler in my in, in my opinion. On the Raw side of things, though, the Raw Money in the Bank had Rey Mysterio, Kofi Kingston, Evan Bourne, Alex Riley, Alberto Del Rio, R-Truth, Jack Swagger, and The Miz. I can tell you right now, The Miz is an animal. I actually thought that he ripped out his kneecap at one point in that match, and he also kind of got stretchered out. Um, just some, some really great spots. Evan Bourne looked amazing, as always. Alex Riley also showed that he belongs up there in the upper mid-card, and Del Rio was solid. Kofi Kingston is exactly what you'd expect, just going in, bouncing all over the place, having some tremendous spots with Rey Mysterio, who delivered as well. Um, Del Rio actually used a really great tactic to secure himself the victory by unmasking Rey Mysterio at the top of the ladder. Rey Mysterio, of course, fell and covered his face, and Del Rio captured the Money in the Bank briefcase for Raw. So it's going to be very interesting with what I'm going to say when we discuss Raw in a few minutes where I see this going. In the World Heavyweight Champion, in the World Heavyweight Championship match with Christian and Randy Orton, again, stellar, stellar storytelling on behalf of both of these guys. I think that Christian showed a new dimension of scumminess as the scummy heel. Randy Orton, for once, acted crazy and it was believable. Christian ended up securing the victory by getting Orton to lose his fucking mind and kick him in the nuts, which, of course, got the DQ, and Christian won the belt. Now, this works in a, in a, in a, in a two-layer approach in my eyes. It keeps Randy Orton strong as a contender, and it makes Christian smart as, as a heel. So the, nobody ended up getting any, any less of a push in this match. Both guys looked really great, and Randy Orton lost his shit after losing the belt, he ended up giving Christian the RKO on the announce table, which was a very cool spot. The, the level of insanity on Randy Orton's face for that match was, was perfect. It almost looked like he actually believably looked insane, as opposed to just pretending and making a spectacle out of himself. So, a very impressive showing from those two guys. And, of course, the big one, the WWE Championship match with John Cena and CM Punk. These guys wrestled, I'd like to say, for almost 40 minutes or about 35, 35, 40 minutes, and it was fantastic from start to finish. The crowd was electric. When CM Punk came out, that ovation that he got in his hometown was, was mind-blowingly sick. It was sick, the amount of love that he got. It felt like ECW's one-night stand when John Cena fought Rob Van Dam. It was on that same level because it was so... So, you know, it's hokey to say, but it was just a magical moment seeing the crowd just behind CM Punk so much. And they went out there, and John Cena, I was expecting to see something more from him, but we got the typical Cena offense that we always get. Um, they tried to pull a, a little bit of a, of a screw job with Vince McMahon coming down with Johnny Ace. He ended up, Johnny Ace getting, uh, ended up getting punched in the face by John Cena, and CM Punk ended up sneaking in the victory with the GTS, at which point McMahon got on a headset and tried to have Del Rio cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase, but Del Rio got his ass whooped by CM Punk, and CM Punk escaped through the crowd. So definitely a shocker for a, a couple of reasons. Of course, the big one is, did they sign CM Punk? Did they not sign CM Punk? It's 
very secretive right now. Nobody's talking about it. I honestly think that he has been signed and that they're going to actually turn this into a huge angle. But as far as wrestling is concerned, you don't even know anymore what the fuck they're doing. I think that CM Punk winning was a great shocker and a great way to close out the pay-per-view. And that's going to lead us into this week's Raw. Now, Raw this week, Vince McMahon came out and cut a promo talking about the fact that um, the uh, these guys were, they had basically taken away CM Punk's victory and decided to go with a tournament to crown a new WWE champion. Now, with that said, I think that they did it. They approached it right, but Raw as a whole seemed very uneventful until the end, as always. Um, the final matches for the main event to get an opportunity at the belt were The Miz and Rey Mysterio, which would have been a great match. Of course, Vince McMahon comes out, and as soon as I saw that my clock said 10.55, I said, we are not getting a championship match with five minutes to 11. As it turns out, Vince McMahon came out and cut a promo, which brought out John Cena, who expected to be fired, and also brought out a returning corporate Triple H, who came out and kind of gave everybody a walkthrough in what was going on and kind of set up an angle where Vince McMahon was removed as CEO of WWE and Triple H was placed in charge. Triple H relieved Vince McMahon of his duties in front of a shocked audience, which it's funny how, how wrestling fans work because they were all booing McMahon and singing na-na-na-na and shit like that. And then when they realized that Vince McMahon is in the ring fucking crying, they started chanting, thank you, Vince, which was amusing. It just shows uh, how easy it is to sway the fans. But I do got to say that Triple H's acting was was abysmal, especially at the end when he's like, I love you, Pop. I'm like, wow, you fucking suck. But it, it opens up a couple of things now because will Triple H hire back CM Punk? Will they do a triple threat with CM Punk, Miz, and Mysterio for the belt? Or will Mysterio be awarded a belt that Del Rio will cash in and win and beat Mysterio for and then do something with Mysterio, I mean, with Del Rio versus Punk and just unifying the belts? Who knows? It opens up a wealth of possibilities. I just felt that as a Raw, especially a post-pay-per-view Raw, it was very weak. That's how I took it. I wasn't really impressed with the way it went. And now, of course, this raises the question of what happens with the Nexus, which I've been hearing that, you know, Otunga and McGillicuddy may be in a faction with Zack Ryder. Don't know how true that is, but CM Punk has done a tremendous job in selling the fact that he stole the WWE Championship. He set, actually used Twitter quite well, sending out different pictures. He had a picture with the belt in his refrigerator, aptly put next to some Diet Pepsi. In addition to that, he had the belt at a Cubs game. He showed up at Comic-Con today during a WWE panel and got into it with Triple H. You can check out the video on our fan page. Overall, I think CM Punk is doing a great job, and he has brought a new dynamic to wrestling, which has brought in a lot of people who weren't into it into it again. A lot of, a lot of people that haven't watched wrestling in a few years, they're like, man, this shit with CM Punk is crazy, and they were asking me, you know, because they're still... Uh, they've been out of wrestling for a bit. They wanted to know how legit was the firing or, you know, how big of an angle it is. So 
it's not like I'm super in the know, but I gave them my opinion on it. And I honestly think that CM Punk has re-signed with WWE, but he's going to sell this particular angle and do all the media that he complained that he never did, he's going to do with this storyline as his platform. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. Triple H being in charge on screen and from what I've been hearing to an extent in real life is going to be very interesting only because of some of the stuff that happened in the news this week, which we're going to go into. First off, WWE.com announced that Sin Cara was suspended for a wellness violation. Sin Cara is a project of Triple H's. He brought it, Triple H brought him in, created everything that went into marketing the character, and him testing positive for steroids was a huge black eye on this particular character. Now, the funny thing is that he was suspended for 30 days. He tested positive, I believe it was in June. Some people are saying June 20th. And, you know, he they did the angle of him getting powerbombed by Sheamus to write him off of television. But the funny thing about that is that Sincata took to a Mexican newspaper called The Record and stated that he felt that he want, that he was entitled to clarification as to what caused him to fail. He went on record as saying that many medications contain steroids, and he believed that an injection he issued, that was issued by his doctor for pain management may have caused a positive test. He went on to say that he's going to be meeting with Vince McMahon to discuss the issue. Earlier, shortly after that article was posted, it was promptly removed. They're saying that WWE is upset with him going and discussing his suspension publicly. But if you look at Sincara, he doesn't really look like a juice head. Um, it, it, if he feels that he had a false positive, then he should be given the opportunity to appeal. If that's the case, I mean, not to say that WWE's wellness shit is wellness tests are bullshit, but there are a couple of guys there that are suspect with regards to performance enhancing drugs and never have tested positive. So, We'll see where it goes. I, if, if it was a false positive, he would be the first, and as such, they'd have to uh, bring him back on TV. But there are a lot of rumors saying that he may be off TV for the foreseeable future based on this and also based on the fact that he's been fucking up in his matches. But we'll see what happens in 30 days, whether he's brought back, whether they do something different with him, or whether he did have a false positive. Another mass superstar in WWE, Rey Mysterio, is reportedly in line for a big push as he is the quote-unquote only masked wrestler on TV right now. They're saying that they want to do something big involving him at SummerSlam and at the Raw in his hometown of San Diego. So that start, considering what happened on Raw this week, I feel that this story is legit only because they may put the belt on him and maybe have him hold it till SummerSlam. At some point, we all know John Cena is going to get the belt so he can defend it against Dwayne. But it's going to be interesting to see if Rey Mysterio will be made champion again. But I'm really interested more so in this Sin Cara situation only because it's, it's so touchy and he's been one of the first guys to go out there and question the results of his wellness test. That's going to wrap up the wrestling news for this week. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk some video games. Right after this. The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. BornStubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. The Born Stubborn Radio 
We talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting. And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. What? We're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck sake, man. <laughs> Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you go, get it! Have good mosh pitting! Video games, let's get right into it. I want to open up by saying fuck you to EA Sports. A, a huge fuck you, and I'll tell you why. Because EA Sports, besides doing roster updates and pretty much co- creating a monopoly with regards to sports games, has decided to really spit in my face with NBA Jam. As many of you know, EA put out NBA Jam on Xbox 360, PlayStation, and the Wii. And it was it was pretty good. You know, it was enjoyable. There were a couple of gripes that I had, primarily not being able to switch to the second player when you pass the ball, et cetera, and certain other things. But here's here's the beauty of what they decided to do with NBA Jam now. Originally, I was really pissed off that they weren't going to do any roster updates or any roster changes to NBA Jam. They said, hey, you know, we're putting the game out. It's one and done. Take it. And take it and accept it. And the, the, the fans accepted it, and we moved on. Now, as I'm doing show prep this week, I read this. Fans of NBA Jam can look forward to a cheaper sequel later this year. EA announced that NBA Jam On Fire Edition will be $15 on Xbox Live and PSN. Besides, obviously, being cheaper, the game is going to have a new taunting system, online features, and the ability to switch players when by yourself. The taunt system is going to use a mocking gesture called the razzle-dazzle and a poke. In addition to that, the game has a team fire capability where three alley-oops will set the, the team on fire. It's, it's funny that one of their mocking gestures is the poke because EA is mocking us by poking us right in the ass by putting this game out. It's ridiculous. You mean to fucking tell me that you go and you drop this game, you have the gall to charge 50 and 60 bucks for it and then turn around and just really stick your entire hand up our ass by putting out the on fire edition for 15 bucks. And you know what the worst part is that I'll probably have to, I'm probably going to end up selling my current NBA jam so I can make back the 15 bucks that it's probably worth to buy the on fire edition. It's fucking stupid. You mean to tell me that you fuckers couldn't release some downloadable content or a possible roster update, or a possible improvement, and maybe, you know, charge five bucks for the DLC, or maybe, you, you know, charge 800 points or whatever, 
and just do that. No, you want to go and release a completely new game for 15 bucks, basically making the disc version of NBA Jam a fucking coaster. You know what, EA? Fuck you guys. It's bullshit. And it's funny because I like what Slick is saying because Capcom is getting away with it too. But you know what the funny thing is? Capcom is getting away with it with the games that they put out, but I'm not even going to say it because I'm a fighting game fan, but it's fucking NBA Jam. Really, you guys can't do one roster update? That's the shit. Like, like Capcom gets away with it because, you know, it's fucking Street Fighter, and they know that it's, it's just churning out cash. It's not like NBA Jam is selling 900,000 units that you can't release some DLC. But no, you just want to continue fucking gamers because that's what EA tends to do. That's what they do with Madden. It's every time, every year Madden comes out, and every year it's like, hey, you can now throw the ball through a view from the quarterback's helmet. But the game still looks the same for the last three years. They, they've created that monopoly that doesn't allow, you know, companies like 2K Sports to put out their take on football. No, we want to do our own. It's a miracle that they haven't fucking forced their way into the NBA to do that shit as well. That's what bugs me out with EA. Not, they're, a, they're a good publisher. They put out some good stuff. But when it comes to fucking sports games, they really do bend fans over and give them the fucking poke. That actually made me break a sweat, especially since I have the AC off, so let me move on. Um, Nintendo released a, a, an interesting tidbit of information regarding Netflix users on the Wii. Of course, Netflix was announced as being available on the 3DS, but they also announced that 1.5 million users stream shows and movies on the Wii daily. Netflix has been on the Wii since April of 2010. Now, here's the funny thing. I'm not one of those 1.5 million because I gave my Wii the boot. You want to know why? Because I wasn't playing it. I was not playing it. Now, here's the funny thing. You're sitting there extolling and touting these beautiful numbers for, for Netflix on the Wii. It's embarrassing that you can say, yeah, 1.5 million users watch shows and movies on the Wii daily. But how many motherfuckers are buying games, Nintendo? How many? None. Because there's not, there hasn't been shit out. Nothing. You, there's been a huge drought with Wii games. I, the funny thing is, I know that the summer is a slow period, but we've been getting a couple of good titles. We have. But what the fuck has the Wii done? Nothing. It's a fucking paperweight. I knew that as soon as the Wii U was announced, that they weren't going to be, they weren't going to be doing shit with the Wii going forward. Yeah, they're going to release maybe one or two games here or there, but it's not going to be on the level of, you know, Sony and Microsoft. They're going to, of course, keep putting out great games on the 3DS, and, of course, they're going to continue rinsing and repeating franchises on the 3DS. But the Wii at this point is just there for show. I think you should just take every Wii system and sell it to assisted living facilities so senior citizens can play bowling and tennis without injuring themselves. I'm honest. Why don't you just take the Wii and call it the old people system and only have it in assisted living and fuck it. Why don't you just put it in preschools at this point? Because I think kindergartners can appreciate playing chicken shoot and fucking Iron Chef America. It's embarrassing. I really like how they say with so much pride that 1.5 million users watch movies on the Wii. I didn't buy the Wii at when it was released to watch movies and TV shows on it. I bought the Wii to play games, to enjoy 
some of those first-party franchises like Donkey Kong and Mario and Kirby and Link. And what about F-Zero? You could put out 25,000 versions of Mario Kart, but you can't put out an F-Zero, which was a fucking great game? No, no, let's not do that. Let's not. Let's just make a fucking paperweight. But here's the funny thing, because as I was saying, and I referenced Capcom in the whole double-dipping scenario, Capcom announced at Comic-Con the ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 disc, which is going to have new stages and 12 extra characters. You're going to be able to pick that up for $39.99. And the funny thing is that you're going to get 12 characters and eight new stages and spectator mode and balance, balancing tweaks. Now, first off, how are you guys going to put spectator mode on a brand new fucking game when spectator mode was in fucking Street Fighter? Seriously. Hey, one of our improvements is, is spectator mode. Seriously? That's like saying an improvement on last year's car was four tires. The fuck out of here. Hey, you want to know an improvement on this new car? It actually has a gas cap. Seriously, like, I can understand the, the 12 new characters, but why not just release a game with all the characters in it? And you know why that is? Because they realized that the game wasn't selling at the level it was, so now they'll go drop 12 characters in it, and boom, they'll send some new units. Because normally, you would think like they did with Super Street Fighter IV Arcade Edition, they'd release these guys as DLC. But no, that's okay. You know, that Shumagorath and that Jill Valentine you bought are completely fucking worthless because guess what? You're going to need to buy a disc that's going to have those two motherfuckers in the game already. That's the worst part. And you know what? The, I'll be the first. I'm not even going to... I'm not going to be... Um, you know, I'm not going to be facetious and say that I'm not going to buy it because I am. I love fighting games. I buy every one of them in some shape, way, or form. Not only that, but the characters that they're adding, I really am interested in seeing them except one. On the Capcom side of things, you're getting Strider, Firebrand from Ghouls and Ghosts, Virgil, which I don't understand because you kind of dress up Dante as Virgil, so that's a waste of a fucking character. Frank West, which I don't... Can somebody please explain to me what the big obsession is with Frank West? Because as soon as Frank West was announced as being in this game, it almost felt like like so many motherfuckers jizzed in their pants because you were going to play as Frank West. He takes fucking pictures. Who gives a shit? Unless he's shooting fireballs out of his fucking camera, I really could give two shits about him. And Phoenix Wright is, is supposedly in the game as well. What is he going to do? Throw, throw legal briefcases and notepads at you? Like, the amount of, of madness on the web with these two characters, I, I just didn't understand. Like, they were like, oh my god, Frank West! Phoenix Wright! It's like, really? You're excited for a lawyer and a fucking reporter? Get the fuck out of here. And then they throw Nemesis in there, which is cool. Nemesis is all right. You know, you're adding some Resident Evil characters in there. And if you got Chris and Jill and Wesker, you might as well throw in Nemesis. I got no problem with that. On the Marvel side of things, you get Ghost Rider, which is cool. Doctor Strange, Nova which there are a thousand other characters you can put than fucking Nova. Nova's on that same level as Submariner and fucking Aquaman. And then they throw in Rocket Raccoon. Why? Why not put Howard the Duck in there? At least if you want to do something nostalgic and funny, Howard the Duck would have been more relevant. Who gives a shit 
about a space raccoon. Are you serious? Like, is that the best you motherfuckers have? And then to round things out, you put Hawkeye and Iron Fist. You knew Hawkeye was going to be in there because you got the Avengers movie coming out. How fitting that all the guys that are in the Avengers movie are in the game because Ant-Man is actually used in one of Hawkeye's specials. I wouldn't be surprised if they make Wasp, DLC, or Black Widow at this point. And, of course, they throw in Iron Fist. Now, looking at that, why didn't you take out Nova and put in Power Man and Iron Fist? Why didn't you do that? Power Man and Iron Fist would have been straight, would have been all good. If you wanted a, a, a cartoony character, you could have put in Howard the Duck instead of Rocket fucking Raccoon. You could have put in Carnage. You could have put in Doctor. You could have put in Doctor Octopus, which would have been cool. You could have put in the Green Goblin. How are you going to have Spider-Man in there without one of his main villains? Usually, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, you could have put Venom in there. You could have put Carnage in there. Why not put a guy like the Green Goblin in there? You could have put Blade in there. That would have been awesome too. I got to definitely give a shout out to Strider for that because Blade would have been awesome. Instead of Nova, you could have put Blade in there. That would have been badass." Instead, you could have put Ghost Rider, you could have put Vengeance in there if you wanted to have Vengeance and Ghost Rider, or you could have done Johnny Blaze and Ghost Rider as a palette swap, which is fine. But come on, Rocket Raccoon and a lawyer and a fucking reporter? And you want me to pay $40, which I'm going to pay because I'm fucking, I'm, I'm a sheep? But come on, guys, seriously? And, well, if you want, you know, if you want pocket rape, you will be paying 40 bucks for that. And I knew that our birthday boy Slick was going to end up calling in for this, and I believe he is on line one. So let's bring him in. What's up, bro? Yeah, just like, <clears throat> my whole thing is, like you said, it's a fucking fighting game, and you're bringing in reporters and shit. A reporter, I mean, a fucking lawyer, and a space raccoon. Seriously? Like, I understand y'all want to be funny, but don't insult my intelligence. Strider's is right. Bring back Psylocke. Bring back a character that's actually a fighter. Bring back some more fucking mutants. And like, you could have put a character like that you've never used before, like Narrow, in there, who's like perfect for a fighting game, because all that, all she does is grow bones out of her body and throw them at people. Yep, or Lady Deathstrike. If you want to go obscure, you could have done Lady Deathstrike. How about this? You're fighting Galactus. Why don't you put the Silver Surfer in there? Duh. <laughs> you know, like, like, common sense is not common. Nope. Oh, yeah, well, well, he's always on his board. Well, you can make him fucking float. You make Magneto float. You know, put him on the fucking Earth. board. Freaking Hulk uh -huh. son. Yep, you could have put... Scar would have been badass, dude. I would have I liked that. You could have put in Bill Stein from Star Gladiator if you wanted to get a Capcom character. Even put in fucking Rick Jones as um, A-bomb. Yeah, Abomination would have been cool. I mean, you know what it is? Like, certain things I can understand. But if Virgil is a, is a, is a costume swap for Dante, why are you going to waste a, a spot putting Virgil in there? With Ghost Rider, I think that you're, they're going to do a palette swap where you get to use Ghost Rider, Vengeance, and Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, which is fine. But some of these guys, like, how are you going to have Iron Fist and not Power Man? It doesn't make sense. Those two motherfuckers are always together. Fucking Amos and Andy. <laughs> you know? I mean, shit. They could have, for all this dumb shit, they could have put in, like, fucking Black Cat. 
anything other than Frank West. I mean, granted, I'm I'm skipping sides here, but it's like you just wasted slots. Well, you know what it is. I don't understand, and 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 I really would like some of some of our listeners to enlighten me on the fascination with Frank West or Chuck Green and, and Phoenix Wright. Because I saw post upon post upon post upon post. They better put Frank West in it, man. They better put Phoenix right in it. That'd be awesome. Like, really? How about a Capcom game that doesn't have fucking Mega Man in it? I understand you guys put zero, but come on, guys. Why don't you put the Mandarin in there if you got Iron Man? I honestly think that the ratio should have been a hero and its res- and their respective villain. That would have been the well, perfect balance. Wolverine and Sabretooth, Spider-Man and Venom, or Spider-Man and whoever. You know? Why not play as Professor X if you got Magneto in there? Why don't you do something a little different? Like, why must we play as Trombone? Who gives a shit? I understand the fascination with Frank West and Phoenix, right? Because they're popular characters, but... They don't belong in a fighting why? game. Why are they popular? Like, like I don't understand. Like, I understand the, the games and, and the popularity of the games, but just the popularity where people were really clamoring for these guys to be in a fighting game. Like, that's where I'd like the explanation. Like, like Frank West, yeah, his, his game, he was in a cool game and shit, and it's a novel concept, but why him? Why not Dimitri from Darkstalkers? You know what I'm saying? John Talbain, like Strider said. That's why I'm confused. It's because Capcom is just going to listen to what everybody says because they they figure that's what's going to sell. They're not even worried about making a good game. Obviously, they're not worried about making a good game because, like you said, they left simple shit out of the original version of the game just so they could make this one. Yeah, and that's stupid because Street Fighter... One of the biggest things that they sold the game with was spectator mode, which was in there, out of the box. And then it's like, yeah, we're gonna, you know, which everybody said, oh, cool, we'll get Marvel versus Capcom, and you'll get spectator mode. Guess what? You're getting a foot in the ass because it wasn't in there. Well, spectator I, mode was in in the. Um, I don't think it was in the original uh, Street Fighter Four. Right, but they but added the thing it. was it was in it was in the Super Street Fighter Two Turbo Buttfuck Remix, and it wasn't in Street Fighter Four, and that was the big beef. And they're doing it again now. Yeah, and they threw it in there, which is which is which is crazy. But you know, we could we could beat this game up, and I'm actually glad you called in because I wanted to tell you about this if you hadn't heard. Um, Batman Arkham City has a collector's edition dropping, which I found out at GameStop about it. And um, I looked at the sheet, and it's going to run you 100 bucks, and supposedly Best Buy is going to also have it, and you're going to get a statue made by uh, uh, Koto Bukia, an art book, Gotham Knight animated material, and some DLC for 100 bucks. Sound good? Sounds better than a fucking plastic Batarang, that's for sure. Well, that's why I wanted to share it with you, because you and I both saw the Batarang, and we knew that it was complete horseshit. For a hundred dollars, but I think a, a, a Kotobukiya statue is 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 worth worth throwing it in there. And I gotta acknowledge Strider for saying that GameStop gave me relevant information. You are correct, sir. They did give me relevant information. But I also had a Splatterhouse. T-shirt. Yeah, but I also had a Splatterhouse T-shirt on, and 
you know, gave him a card. So <laughs> that, that's a whole other story. But um, yeah, man, hundred bucks, you get a a statue, the art book, a Gotham Knight. I'm really hoping that they put the um the the Frank Miller animated Batman film in there. That would be a great pack in. I don't think they're going to go that far for you. Well, yeah, because they're rather throwing Gotham Knight, which was okay. I don't know if it's going to be new Gotham Knight animated material or not, but I think it would have been awesome if they'd done that because that would have been a great marketing ploy. Well, the thing is that Arkham City is going to come out around the same time as Batman Year One. So if they if they release the movie with the game, that'd be shooting themselves in the foot because then why the fuck would you buy the Blu-ray? True. All right. Fair enough. Because well, I'm definitely getting Batman Year One, but yeah, so if I, I could get it with the game, why the hell would I buy the Blu-ray? Well, you know that they wouldn't put the Blu-ray in with the game. They'd put in a um, a DVD unless they did for the PS3 version. You'd get the Blu-ray, which is fine. I don't even mean that. Just mean the fact that I'm gonna buy the movie on Blu-ray. But why would I do that if I'm going to get the movie free with the game? True. Well, you know what the problem is, and this is something I wanted to ask you about, which I didn't get a chance to ask you last week. You you know, you bought the infamous Legendary Edition, you paid the money, and now it's like, yeah, you can buy it for 60 bucks or whatever. Don't Do, do you feel that something like this Arkham City Collector's set is going to really be limited where, you know, three months from now you won't be able to buy it? Absolutely not. You don't think so, right? Because that's that's the thing that bugs me with these collector's editions. That's why I haven't really been buying them. Because you go, you shell out all this money, you drop seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars, and three months from now, depending, or if Amazon is feeling generous, they'll be like, Yeah, you can just buy it for sixty bucks and then it's like, fuck man, I spent a hundred bucks when I could have waited. The Kill Zone three special edition with the Hellgas helmet. It's 50 bucks in Best Buy right now. There you go. And remember how expensive that was when we talked about it on air initially and how awesome it looked? Yep. Fucking embarrassing. Um, but before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about this also, which is the, um, well, two things I wanted to ask you. Microsoft at Comic-Con decided to announce the release of a special Xbox 360, which is going to come with Star Wars Connect. It's going to be an R2-D2 styled Xbox 360, and it's also going to have custom console sounds and a gold C-3PO style controller. The Kinect is going to come in all white, and you're going to get a 320 gig hard drive. Of course, the bundle is going to include Star Wars Connect and Connect Adventures. Now that I've told you that, how much do you think this is going to cost? What's the hard drive size on it right now, 250? I believe so. They're going to have a 320 in there. What do you think it's going to be? Two games, a gold controller, and a specially designed um, Xbox. And a white and connect. connect. Oh, and a Connect. <laughs> I was going to say 400, but probably 500. 450 bucks, dude. There you go. Well, you know what's funny? It seems that they're doing now these huge things because they're releasing, of course, a Gears of War Xbox 360 the same way. But I, the, the reason why I'm running this by you is because with these exclusive consoles, 
Do you honestly think at this point that, that, that anybody's going to go out of their way to buy this console if they have one already? Like, I don't really, like, I don't mind exclusive consoles, but I really don't see the point in them unless you honestly don't have one. And I think that with the amount of sales that Xbox 360 has, everybody should have a console at this point. You know what I mean? Yep. And the only people they're going to capture are the people who were, I, I don't know how you would look at it, lucky or unlucky enough to have their Xbox to survive so long that they're finally getting the red ring of death. Those are going to be the only people that buy that shit. I mean, it did look nice. I was very impressed with it. I saw I was like, wow, that's a pretty nice-looking Xbox. And, you know, by adding the exclusive console sounds, you know, they're trying to make it special and whatnot. Do you see exclusive consoles like this, at least in your opinion, and be becoming collector's items where you can get a premium for them on eBay, or is it just going to be something where it's going to be in and out and, and it's just going to go under the radar? Because I remember the we Halo... Are almost, we're uh, almost exactly six years into the, the console life of the Xbox 360. Right. If you don't have it by now, <laughs> you don't fucking want it. <laughs> there you go. If you've never had it at this point, you don't want it. Well, there, I only got three stories left, so I might as well keep you on board. Here's a, here's a good one for you. If you reserve Halo Combat Evolves Anniversary Edition, you will get... As a pre-order bonus, the Grunt Funeral Skull, which is it's going to allow the Grunt to be blown up with the force of a plasma grenade each time they're killed. In addition to that, your other pre-order incentive is Master Chief Avatar Armor. <laughs> do, do you collectively give a shit? Not at all. There you go. But here's, here's a fun one. And I, and I don't know what Square Enix is smoking, but as somebody who's played a couple of RPGs, I'm sure you're going to have a question, too, about this. Square Enix has announced that Final Fantasy 13-2 will be out at the start of the following year. According to their Twitter account, um, they're going to be re releasing it in North American shores in January. Why can't you guys just make number 14? What is the problem? Well... 14 is out. 14 is an MMO, and it sucks. The better question is, why can't you just make a versus 13, which people actually do give a shit about? But what is this whole fascination with with doing a dash 2 for this? Is it taking place? Because my, my familiarity with Final Fantasy is a little a little off. Is is you know these dash two games taking place in that same universe as the as the existing one? Like if you're doing thirteen and thirteen dash two, is that in the in the same 13 universe? Thirteen dash two picks up where thirteen ended. It has the same characters as thirteen, and you know a few new characters. Ah, okay. See, because I was confused. I was confused just because I haven't played a Final Fantasy game since 7, and, and everything I've seen since then is, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. So I wanted to run it by you because I was sure that you were um, familiar with it. Yeah, but 13-2, I don't understand it myself because 
apparently, I guess it did better in, um, you know, Europe and Asia, but what do you call it? 13 wasn't very well received in the U.S. Like, it sold because everybody went and got it, and everybody was pissed off about it because they're like, why is this RPG linear? Why don't I have free roam until, like, the end of the game? And even when I have free roam, I don't really give a fuck. There you go. You know, that problem goes into console debates, because everybody blames the 360 for that. That's a whole other issue. They're like, why don't we have towns and shops and shit? Yeah, I don't know, man. I was I was bugged out just at seeing those type of numbers, and I figured you'd be able to shed some light on it. Uh, the last two bits of video game news, um, our buddies at THQ announced that they're going to be releasing a Voltron game exclusively for Xbox Live and PSN called Voltron Defender of the Universe. It's going to run you 10 bucks and you'll be able to play with five players, that which, of course, will portray the five lions, and they'll be able to form Voltron. It's going to be made by the developers, by Behavior Interactive, that were the developers of Ghostbusters Sanctum of Slime. It's going to use shooter gameplay and fighting. Thoughts? Well, I never like to, to um, count out the... Um, the live and the PSN games because there's a lot of them that are better than the shit we pay $60 for. Agreed. It doesn't sound like it's going to be very good because it doesn't even sound like it's going to follow the current show, which, you know... No, it doesn't. The the thing is, if you don't follow the current show, you're going to have people fighting to be the Black Lion because obviously everybody wants to be the head of Ultron. If you made it follow the current show, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, because based on what I see, it looks like it's based on the original stuff. I'm going to dig a little deeper to make sure. I think that if you are able to use Voltron in the different configurations like, they did, like they've done in the new cartoon, then it makes things a little bit more appealing. Yes, because then it doesn't matter who, you know, which line you pilot. Technically, you could still be the head. Correct. But for ten bucks, you know, I, I'll, I'll shell out ten bucks if it, you know, if it's not good, it's not good. If it is, it is. But of course, we'll be able to play the demo and decide for ourselves. The other, the other two pieces of news is are that remember Goldeneye that got re-released on the Wii, and it was uh, you know there was all this fanfare and a gold controller and all this shit. Well, guess what? 360 and PS3 are getting it too. Goldeneye 007 Reloaded is going to be an HD port of the Wii game. And it's going to be built on a new engine and run, and it's going to run at 60 frames per second. And the play, the PlayStation version is going to have PlayStation Move support. Why would do the you fans of GoldenEye really give us work? Not only that, but they, they've changed the game and they've they've made so many changes to it that the original nostalgia of GoldenEye is gone. Like, yeah, you're playing GoldenEye 007, but you know what? It's every first-person shooter that we've currently played. Putting it on the 360, it's like, is this Call of Duty? Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not, you're not doing anything except saying, hey, instead of using a guy in Call of Duty, you're using James Bond. I don't know. I, I think you'd even have to wonder which James Bond they'd use. They're going to probably use the Daniel Craig one because I believe they used the Daniel Craig James Bond 
in the Wii in the Wii Golden Eye game. That's correct. You know, so it's it, well, don't get me wrong. I'm gonna play it just because I did want to play Golden Eye, and I don't have the Wii anymore. But going out of their way to put this out, if it sells even marginally well, I'll be surprised. Only because you know, if you haven't played Golden Eye in some shape, way, or form at this point, you're really not gonna play it now. Just like the thing with the 360. Yep. You know, and and if you're gonna charge 60 bucks for it, I don't I don't think anybody's gonna shut off 60 bucks for that game. Hell fucking no. You better go 40 or lower. There you go. And and I needed to ask you about this. Mortal Kombat announced that Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street is going to be the last downloadable character for Mortal Kombat. Now, it's raised some questions because people are saying that he's not going to be the last one, that Jason is going to be a downloadable character. I wanted to ask, and you know, before I share my opinion with you, how do you feel about this direction with the Mortal Kombat games going in this direction? I feel fine about it because I've always, even though I've I've enjoyed Mortal Kombat in the past, I've always felt that the game itself was too reliant on a gimmick. It's too reliant on the ultraviolence. And so putting Freddy and possibly even Jason there is no surprise whatsoever. I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner. It's not going to enhance gameplay. It's not it's not going to hurt it, but it's definitely not going to do anything for the game. And it's going to be like, it's effectively going to be as important to Mortal Kombat as putting The Apprentice was in, um, what do you call it? In Soul Calibur. Okay, exactly. So thank you. It's go. gonna be it's like it's gonna be a usable character. There's gonna be people who are really good with him and people who think he sucks and it's just gonna fucking fade away. Me, but you know that that's a that's a that's a good spin on it. Me personally I kinda of thought that it was a cash grab because you wanted to capture a new audience. But in in looking at it and that stand, from that standpoint, I think that including Freddy Krueger and doing something like that is just uh, in introducing a different dimension. I mean, it's called Mortal Kombat. You know, it's you know somebody's getting fucking killed, and if anybody can is is going to be killing anybody, it's Freddy Krueger. So I don't mind that. But personally, I think that you could have gone as far as creating taking the company that did Mortal Kombat and just creating a standalone game with those guys. I think you could have just done something like that, maybe put it out as a as a PS and Xbox Live game. Using the Mortal Kombat engine, and you probably and they probably would have made a shitload of money. You know, you put Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, Chucky, Pinhead. You know, all the typical slashers that we've all seen growing up. I think if you did that, you added the Mortal Kombat engine, and you threw some fatalities in there. People would go all you know would go all in with that shit. I think that throwing them into Mortal Kombat, I think, is just them testing the water. Something tells me we may see something bigger with those properties in the future. Possibly, but one thing you said that I disagree with, it's not going to appeal to any new demographic because think about it. The people who really are into Mortal Kombat, aside from just, like, fighting game fans, are the people, the same people who are into those movies because they're into that level of violence. So it's the right. same fucking people. You're not bringing anybody new in with fucking Freddy Krueger and or Jason. Well, you know what was funny? I one of one of our listeners, uh, Raven. He he he's like, I don't know Mortal Mortal Kombat. He's like, but I'd buy it to play as Freddy Krueger or Jason. So he he was, you know, he's a good example of bringing in somebody else for that game. 
You know what I mean? Because th- there's some people that they're like, oh, man, you know, there's 14 ninjas. Like, I, I can play as 14 ninjas, woohoo, and they all control elements. I'm super excited. But when you throw something like Freddy Krueger, something like that, you know, a pop culture icon that people know, it's the equivalent of throwing in Kratos in the PS3 version, which I bought because Kratos was in it. I mean, yeah, I bought it to play Mortal Kombat, but, you know, I like Kratos. I'm a fan. So you see what I mean? So I think there is merit in getting certain new new people into the into the Mortal Kombat series. And like I said, I think this is more as a, as a gauge to possibly do something with these properties. Because why something so random as Freddy Krueger? You know what I mean? Well, I'm not trying to diss Raven at all, but would he really spend $60 for one character? Like, I don't look at it that way with somebody like you because you fully intended to buy Mortal Kombat no matter what. It's just yep. that the addition of Kratos, it made your decision oh, easier the bu- to get it on the PS3 versus the 360. I, you know... It, with, with with a guy with with a with a listener like Raven, it was weird because he was like, "Yeah, man, you know, if they put out more of these guys, I'll you know, I'll definitely pick up the game." I I think that with with that particular feedback from him, there is a market for that. Like, I honestly think that this comp that this company would benefit from doing something like that if they could secure the rights. Because imagine that, you know, you got all these guys, you throw Ash from Evil Dead in there, shit like that. You know, you throw in some ghoulies or something crazy or a killer clown from outer space, something different, but you throw that Mortal Kombat engine behind it. I, I think, honestly, I honestly feel it. <laughs> it might even be moderately successful just because it's such a, a huge departure from the Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, and Tekken that we've all grown so accustomed to playing. Well, then you just answer my question because, no, he wouldn't buy it for just one character, but if they put, if they even made a game... <clears throat> that has all these characters or or um just put more of them in Mortal Kombat, then yes, he would be willing to purchase it. So there you go. And basically it'd be like the ultra violent clay fighter. Yeah, wow, nice not, that's a that's a great reference. I totally forgot about Clay Fighter. It's true. It would be it would be an ultra violent clay fighter. I'm not as much as they're saying, oh, Freddy Krueger's the last DLC, you can't do a Freddy Krueger without throwing Jason in there because that's, a, that's, that's been a, a, an argument that, that even translated to film. You know what I mean? So to not have that in there would be, would be silly. And what do you call it? The um, saying that that's about as believable as saying that the final destination was the final destination when uh, what's coming out next month? Final Destination 5, which is a complete push. Oh, and uh, Paranormal Activity 3, which I'm writing the, the post for it as we speak. So that's a whole other story. Jesus Christ. All right, brother. Well, I figured you could uh, help me wrap up the games, and I'm going to take a commercial break, and we're going to do some movies. All right, man. All right, man. Peace. Peace. Had to have our buddy Slick in here to help us wrap that up and uh, throw in some of his video game knowledge. But I'm looking at the time. Let's get right into the movies because there's a ton of stuff to discuss.
Now, I, I wanted to open the movie segment with a couple of things, but I wanted to open it up, and I changed my mind about 10 minutes ago, with my thoughts on, spy, on Amazing Spider-Man. And I know Dark Helmet wanted to discuss it, and I'm sure he'll call in, but I had the privilege of seeing the trailer for Amazing Spider-Man this week. I also saw the trailer for The Dark Knight. I also saw the, the teaser trailer for The Avengers, which you'll probably be able to see after the credits in Captain America. So I suggest when you go to see Captain America this tonight or over the weekend, stay after the credits. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, you know my dislike for the Spider-Man reboot from casting down to the director, down to the direction. It was just things that left a, a, a bitter taste in my mouth only because I knew that the margin for fuck-up was huge. Now, the way, the way the trailer looked was silly, only because I, I, Andrew Garfield looked like a grown-ass man playing a teenager, and the costume looked like, like shit, and you're, you're having Spider-Man pretty much run through the trailer like Mirror's Edge, which is a game that was released on consoles and on the iPad, and... Why? Because you didn't want people to see the costume. Everyone has seen it. It's on Entertainment Weekly. It's everywhere. You're not surprising anybody. You're not. The fact is, the trailer did nothing, at least in my eyes, to get me hype to want to see it. It was almost like, we got to put something out there so people can get hype. That trailer did not do it. I don't know if that was because they wanted to put a trailer out there in time for Comic-Con and they're going to release a better trailer. But I can tell you right now that I saw that trailer, and I said to myself, I'm not spending a fucking dime on this movie until it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray or cable, quite honestly, because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't scream excitement like Spider-Man 2. And even Spider-Man 3, regardless of the fact that it sucked, when you saw trailers for Spider-Man 3 and you saw that, that quick glimpse of Venom and the Sandman... It got you hype. You were ready to rock and roll when you saw that. You're like, oh, shit, it's going to be sick. Now it's just like emo kid wears spider costume and runs across rooftops. Like, you're not, there's nothing that got me pumped. Like, even the Dark, the, 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 the Dark Knight Rises trailer was a teaser, and they said that. It's a teaser. So you watched it. You got a little excited just because you're like, oh, shit, Bane, and the way that the, the, the dramatic music that was used, it set the tone as a teaser. So when the full trailer drops, you'll be like, oh, this is going to be sick. But that Spider-Man trailer was balls. There was nothing about it that made me remotely interested in going to see it. I, I thought it sucked, which is sad because this is a franchise that has made millions and millions of fucking dollars. And the legacy of the franchise is about to go out the fucking window because they want to completely depart from the norm. You guys want to base it on Ultimate Spider-Man? Great. Go ahead and do it. But keep the integrity of the costume. Find yourself a younger actor. I really feel that Andrew Garfield looked too fucking old in that trailer. I'm like, dude, you're, you're supposed to be in high school, really? Could have fucking fooled me. So, again, I just, I, I'm so disheartened by all the stuff going on with Spider-Man, so I think that may have affected my judgment. So I'm going to try and see if they drop a full trailer, and hopefully it captures that same level of excitement. If it doesn't, then we know it's going to suck. But right now, 
I, I, I really am not too impressed. Uh, with that, I see that Dark Helmet's on the line, and we're going to bring him on right now. DH, what do you got, brother? I got to say that when I saw, oh, Spider-Man teaser being put out, I'm like, yeah. With everything I already heard from here, and that's going to be your reboot, I'm like, uh, no. Not interested unless they make, like, the origin really short. Because if it's going to be a reboot, I don't care how you pull it off. They have to make either the reboot short, otherwise it's just going to be another origin story, which we've already seen before. That is true. Well, that's the thing. There, There is origin in there because you got Sally Field as Aunt May, and, you know, Martin Sheen is as Uncle Ben. So they are going to be origins, but they're using, of course, the Ultimate Spider-Man style of origins, which, whatever, it's fine. Just keep it brief, which I agree with. But just the overall presentation did not get me excited. The same level of excitement for a trailer for Spider-Man 1, for Spider-Man 2, and like I said, even for, the, for that piece of shit Spider-Man 3, you know when you saw that trailer and you caught that glimpse of the symbiote falling on stupid-ass Topher Grace, you're like, oh, shit, something awesome is going to happen. Spider-Man running across a rooftop and swinging towards a building in his lame-ass fucking Tour de France bicycle uniform was stupid. Yeah, no kidding. If you want to you know do something, I, man, you can do a lot more and make it a more badass style instead of just, oh, look, I'm Spider-Man. No, here's an idea. Open the film with an action sequence, Spider-Man roughing up thugs, getting in a fight, beating them up, tripping them down, and then be like, bam, I'm Spider-Man, what? What's up? Okay. Hopefully he wouldn't say that because he would sound like a complete tool. But I understand. I understand the gist of what, I understand the gist of where you are going with it. But the problem is that teasers are meant to do that. Tease. They're meant to get you hype. I, I'd rather I'd rather get teased by a three fingered midget rubbing my nuts than watching that fucking trailer. I'm being a hundred percent honest. It was like I watched it. I'm like, that's it. That's what we got. You know, the te- you want a teaser, look at the teaser for fucking Transformers, Dark of the Moon. That was a badass teaser. You look at, yeah. at teasers, some, some of those great blockbusters like Iron Man, um, Thor, you, you know how to set the, set the stage for shit like that. The Conan teaser, which I'm glad Slick mentioned, was ridiculous, especially if you watched the Red Band one and there was all that ultraviolence. It got you hype. You're supposed to be teased, which is supposed to generate excitement. Spider-Man made me want to go to fucking therapist. I was far from teased. If you give a lukewarm teaser, you're going to get a lukewarm response, and then no one's going to want to see it. Bingo. Hey, Spider-Man's going to do something insanely crazy. Like he's going to somehow tie up the Green Goblin and use him as a punching bag. I don't know. That might be funny. I don't know how that would work with the character, but still. Well, you know what I don't understand and this is something that I was going to talk about just from another standpoint, the fact that these teasers get leaked a day or two before they're released, and studios remove them, which I don't understand. You're supposed to be building a buzz for your fucking movie, so who gives a shit if it's out? Seriously. Like, I don't understand the logic in that. Well, we're going to remove this trailer because why? Because it looks like a bootleg? Okay, fine, then just drop the real one and be done with it. Yeah, I thought something was going to happen. Act- with- Go ahead, man. 
like when when Harry Potter for that Universal was released and the ride was released, I thought, oh, as soon as people start putting videos online, Universal is going to come and tear them down. But instead, they let them stay up so they can be used as promotional. You know, some people are going to say, hey, check this out. This is what it looks like. So leaks are not always bad. Why are you going to stifle something that's going to generate a buzz for your product? If the trailer's a bootleg, then you'll then fine, remove the bootleg. But then just be like, hey, you know, here's the real one. Because you're generating a buzz. You're making people excited. You're actually helping Hollywood promote a movie. Like, think about this. Think of a trailer for a movie that you saw that you think is going to be really awesome. But because no buzz was generated, the movie makes no money. Whose fault is that? The studios. It's not the, the customer's fault because they weren't informed. Why can't you put out a trailer and be like, hey, man, Here's the trailer for this film. You guys may like it. And, and, and generate revenue. You're helping, you're helping the industry. As much as they complain about bootlegging and all this other shit, people that want to help the industry are the guys that are out there do, putting the trailers and writing reviews and, and talking about it and generating a buzz. It makes no fucking sense to me. Yeah, I can't count how many times there have been great movies that have just gone right under the radar because nobody knew they existed. And all of a sudden, you're like, how did I miss this? How did I miss that? This is amazing. Yep. It's an amazing piece of work. And everyone's like, oh. Yeah, well, that's what happens, dude. But overall, I just thought that I was very underwhelmed by the Spider-Man trailer, and by the looks of it, you were too. Yeah. Anything else to add, my friend? Spider-Man will probably be another one on my not-going-to-see list, unfortunately. There you have it, folks. All right, DH, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, brother. Take care of yourself. All right. Let's get into some of this other movie stuff. Um, Vulture Films has reported that the with the Harry Potter franchise on obviously ending and the Batman trilogy coming to a close, Warner Brothers is looking to fill their release schedule with several other comic book projects. So they're actually looking at two particular projects, which they're going to have a huge marketing push behind them. Obviously, the sequel to 300, which is Battle of Artemisia, um, that's going to be getting a huge push now. But there's also going to be uh, Guy Ritchie's interpretation of the DC comic Sergeant Rock is also going to be getting a huge push as well. Um, obviously, a sequel to the 300 is, is something I'm going to be very interested in checking out only because... I'm such a huge fan of the regular 300 film and a fan of Frank Miller's work as well. So to see that, hopefully they'll do it right. I'm hearing that Gerard Butler may be involved because it's an opportunity to use him again as Leonidas. So I'm actually very interested in that. And seeing Guy Ritchie do an interpretation of Sergeant Rock, especially with the great work he's done with Sherlock Holmes, I'm actually quite interested in checking that out. So we'll see what happens with that. In some other news, Harry Potter's director, David Yates, is being rumored for a big-screen adaptation of The Stand. Of course, The Stand is based on the TV series and novel by Stephen King. According to a couple of reports that have been published, Yates has been looking at the novel and looking for ways to make it into a multi-film series similar to what was done with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which, of course, has crushed the box office in opening weeks. It made $92 million on Friday, it also had, of which 43.5 million were from midnight shows. The Deathly Hallows Part 2 easily beat previous single day records for Twilight Saga New Moon. In addition to that, 
the final chapter is well on its way to surpassing the record of $158.4 million held by The Dark Knight. Overall box office numbers in total were $168.5 million for the top spot, which destroyed the record set by The Dark Knight. In addition to that, like I said, it broke records for Friday's opening, and it had a $250 million budget, so I'm sure it's going to probably double and triple that amount very shortly. Transformers Dark of the Moon was number two in its third weekend. It made $21.3 million. It's made $300 million domestically, $762 million worldwide on a $195 million budget. Horrible Bosses dropped to number three, $17.6 million in its second weekend. It had a domestic gross of $60 million, and it had a budget of $35 million, so obviously it is profitable. The Zookeeper dropped to number four. It grows $42.4 million domestically, $49, well, $50 million worldwide on an $80 million budget. Cars 2 dropped to number 5. Winnie the Pooh opened at 6. Bad Teacher dropped to number 7. Larry Crown dropped to 8. Super 8 moved down to number 9. It's made $122 million and $173 worldwide on a $50 million budget. Woody Allen's Midnight to Paris dropped well, went up from number 11 to number 10. It's made $41.8 million, $75 million worldwide on a $30 million budget. So very interesting times for the box office. And, of course, we got Captain America this weekend. I'm, I have a feeling Captain America may not crack the top 10, only because Harry Potter's got such a substantial lead. But on the same token, so many people have seen Harry Potter already, so I'm hoping that the captain places at least second place. If he places the, if he places first, of course, I'll be happy. But uh, second place is all good in my book. Now, of course, with the end of the Harry Potter series, you ask yourselves, what's going to happen to some of the actors and where are they going from here? Well, I'll tell you this much. Emma Watson, a.k.a. Hermione from Harry Potter, is going to be joining forces with Guillermo del Toro in his new adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, obviously, Emma Watson will be playing Beauty, and it's going to be an interpretation of the classic tale, which we all know and love. Honestly, I'm actually intrigued to see how Guillermo del Toro brings the Beast to life, only because they've done so many different interpretations. It should be interesting to see. In some casting news, uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, slave revenge film, Django Unchained, has a new actor involved in it. That's going to be Kevin Costner. He's going to be playing the role of Ace Woody, who is a henchman for Calvin Candy, which will be the main villain played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Django is going to be played by Jamie Foxx, and the bounty hunter who trains Django will be played by the always awesome Christoph Waltz. Now, we got a, a, a crazy piece of what-the-fuck movie news, which, of course, it wouldn't be an episode of MTR without it. Now, I want you guys to adjust your headsets, your telephones, and your speakers for what I'm about to tell you, because you guys are going to be bugged out. The Cartoon Network announced today that they have signed a development agreement with producer Don Murphy and partner Susan Montford, and their company, Angry Filmworks, get this, is going to develop a live-action motion picture based on Captain Planet. 
I'll tell you right now, if it's going to be a live-action Captain Planet, one of our listeners' waffles definitely has to play Mati, and you guys can pass that message on to him to try out for Mati. But yes, live-action Captain Planet film. Now I'm going to share with you guys this beautiful press release that I am reading. Cartoon Network signed this agreement with action-adventure producer Don Murphy and partner Susan Montford and their, con- and their company, Angry Filmworks to develop the live-action picture based on the groundbreaking, environment-saving animated hero Captain Planet and the Planeteers. That was announced by Stuart Snyder, President and Chief Operating Officer of Turner Broadcasting's Animation for Young Adult and Kids Media Division. The agreement gives Murphy and his company the exclusive rights to develop and package the property and advance it towards production. Now, here's the statement that was released to go with that. We are extremely excited about bringing the good captain back to life, said Don Murphy. His adventures are known worldwide, and he is recognized across generations. Yes, for having a mullet. We expect to make a spectacular series of films. Not one film, but a series of films with the amazing team at the Cartoon Network. The messages of Captain Planet are even more relevant today. We feel this team can bring the first eco-hero to life in a powerful motion picture that is not only pertinent, but entertaining. I already see the, the message board flashing because I'm sure Slick is, is probably having a coronary. I, I'm sure this is not the birthday present that he had in mind. So uh, I'm assuming that's Waffles on the line. You're on the air. What's up, Rick? Long time, man. It is Waffles. What's going on, brother? Uh, that was actually hilarious. Mentioning me, I had to call, of course. Well, yeah, dude. You, got it. you better be screen testing. You better get it to Reddit so you can yell on the screen, heart, with a little monkey. <laughs> you better you better be ready, dude. I need you with a ring yelling, I have the power of heart. You better be ready, dude. <laughs> we will sponsor that. My Take Radio will sponsor Waffles Quest. To play Mati in Captain Planet. Dude, <laughs> horrified that this is the type of shit we are going to see in theaters. Captain fucking Planet. First off, you should have seen it coming. The mulleted superhero. <laughs> you should have seen that coming. With now, like, they're bringing back how they brought back Thundercats, they brought back Voltron. You know, they're going to be bringing back classic things where. But didn't you also say, like, long time ago in earlier episodes that they were going to do like a Ninja Turtles reboot as well? Yeah, well, that's coming out on Nickelodeon, which is fine. But here's the crazy thing. Reboots I'm okay with and whatever. They are what they are. And, and you know what it is? You're getting characters that are pop culture icons, Transformers, shit like that. But saying that you're making a movie about Captain Planet is, the, is about as valid as making a documentary about the rock movies. <laughs> no one- Shit. Are you are you serious? Were there really that many excited kids about Captain Planet? As far as I remember, those toys collected dust in every Toys R Us and Lionel Kitty City and TSS I went through during my fucking childhood. It is impossible to even fathom that kids would be excited for a guy with a fucking mullet. I'd rather go for a Magic School Bus live action than Captain Planet. Dude, Magic School Bus, would, if done by, like, Disney Pixar, would probably make a shitload of money. Exactly. But 
app and planet of all things, dude, I'm, I'm telling you, dude, even if it's a steaming pile of shit, you, I better, I better see you saying, yo, I'm going to go on audition for my tea. You better, you better get it ready, dude. You better get ready to start yelling hearts. <laughs> I'll look into it and I'll check if I could do it. I'll do it for okay. NTR. There you go, brother. Well, I appreciate you calling in, man. I figure you get a kick out of that. Oh, no problem. One, one thing I got to add, though, I should have called earlier. I got sh- I should have called earlier. This goes back to the gaming thing, but it's something that made me laugh because it's true. What you mentioned about the Wii being just donated to, like, for the old people and all that, it actually kind of is true because I work for a retirement home for military veterans, and the- they play the Wii for bowling. There Everything you go. You said it was actually true, so just have yeah, to add that. See how funny that is? It's like yeah, 1.5 million people watch Netflix, but you know, a million senior citizens play bowling, golf, and tennis with it. Uh, yep. There you That's go. All right, buddy. Thanks for calling. Right. I appreciate. It. No problem, man. You take care. Yeah. Thanks, brother. See ya. All right, folks. Vote for Waffles as Mati in the Captain Planet film. I see that Strider is on the line. One of our one of our buddies from down south in New Orleans. Let me bring him in. Strider, I hear you're contemplating suicide. By all means, please share it with us before you kill yourself. I'm going to go by the <laughs> kitchen. Dude, Captain the Planet. biggest steak knife I can find, and I'm going to slowly cut off my brachial artery that's located on the side of my wrist. I'm going to slowly bleed out on the ground, painfully, but with a smile on my face, knowing that I will not be alive to see this movie. Well, here's the best part. At the end of the press release, they made sure to tell us that Captain Planet premiered in the fall of 1990, and it aired for six years. And on top of that, it said that they had multiple voice talents from multiple guest celebrities. Whoopi Goldberg as Gaia, Meg Ryan as Dr. Blight. Martin Sheen was the voice of Sly Sludge. Ed Asner was Hoggish Greedley. James Colburn was Luton Plunder. Dean Stockwell was Duke Nukem, which they should sue him for that. And Sting was the voice of Zarm. So not only do you have all these actors associated with this cartoon, but it was from 1990. The shit's not that old. What's the fucking point? I mean, granted, no, no, no. yes, it's from the 19th. It's, I mean, uh, I, I, my mind is literally fucked right now. I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ron Jeremy has, like, somehow microscopically entered my brain and is just totally just raping and humping my left lobe into submission. I mean, really? Really, Hollywood? You couldn't go with... It's not enough you're messing up all of our comic book characters by putting out fucking shit uh, the war and all this uh, Green Lantern shit after shit after shit. Why don't you do something that's actually fucking relevant? Have something with fucking carnage. Have a bad guy. Have a villain. I want to see a villain whoop somebody's ass once in a while. Let's do that that's for change. I'd like to see it, dude. I mean, but unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, that's not the name of the game. Right now, it's it's all about taking safe projects grabbing as many old 80s and 90s products that we can, redoing them and tossing them out there. You know, we got the Smurfs coming out next week. You know, that that, that, as much as we're going to shit on it is going to make buku money only because 
a new generation of kids will hassle their parents to buy them toys. And the Captain Planet thing, I honestly feel is going to be non-successful. And that's only because our days of really giving a fuck about the environment are over. Like now you have organizations and shit that do it, but it's not like they're throwing it in your face like they did when you were younger. You know, they barely promote Earth Day when it fucking happens. You really are going to give a fuck about a guy who's brought together by five rings and a little fucking Cambodian-looking Mexican kid with a monkey? No one's going to give a shit. Uh, it's going to be a rip-off of Pick and Lord of the Rings. It's going to be directed by some fucking idiot, and it's going to be probably three hours long because, you know, five rings, you know, one ring to rule them all. It's going to be fucking uh, Avatar and fucking Lord of the Rings all into one, and it's going to fucking suck balls. And well, after, did, he, did he even go by who's going to be cast as the main guy, or has it even been discussed yet? They haven't released it yet, but I am dying to see who decides to put on the, the Captain Planet uniform. I hope to God it's Matthew McConaughey, only because that motherfucker needs work. <laughs> but but um, who knows, man? Knowing them, they'll probably try and do a, maybe a CGI Captain Planet, and then they'll just have fun casting the kids, because, you know, that's what they'll do. They'll cast, like, Justin Bieber as, like, as, like Wheeler or some shit. Yeah, they might as well just, long they it, long they just make another fucking uh, biker mice from Mars. I'd, hey. I'd probably pay money to see that. Dude, I'd pay money to see a Street Sharks movie, but you don't see me complaining. <laughs> there you go. Oh, shit. Well, I appreciate you calling in and sharing your, your always amusing wisdom with us. I will be more than happy to do that in the future, but unfortunately, I am currently walking back. I'm on my hands-free device, and uh, just give me just, just uh, I know my phone number should be on your caller ID. Just make sure you call back and let my parents know that uh, I died. Uh, I died. With, I died happy. So, uh, <laughs> I will definitely let them know. If not, I then slick. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. All right. Later. Later. All right, folks. That was Strider expressing his uh, disgruntledness towards Captain Planet. And, man, is it going to suck. I'm sorry, but it is. All right. We got about 20 minutes of showtime left. I just want to run through a couple of other things. Um, obviously, we all know Spartacus. We all know about the original Spartacus and the TV series on stars. It seems that the TV series wasn't enough. GK Films is planning on bringing Spartacus to the big screen, but their project is going to be based on a on the film with historical accuracies and not so much based on the TV series. This particular Spartacus film will be based on the rebel leader who took on the Roman Empire for two years. It's going to focus on him leading a band of 70,000 gladiators and 50,000 freed slaves in a revolt against the Roman war machine between 73 and 71 B.C., so not only will we get Spartacus on TV, we will get Spartacus in theaters. In some other comic film news, it was just announced that Manville Films, which did The Fighter, is looking to bring the darkness to the big screen. Of course, the Top Cow comic was de developed by Mark Silvestri, Garth Innes, and Dave Wall in 1996, which is a huge favorite of mine. I've read a lot of darkness books. Is going to be getting the big screen treatment. 
I am kind of happy because I really would like to see some more Top Cow properties on the big screen. They really do have some really great properties, Witchblade, The Darkness, um, and Jealous. You can go through all of those and actually pull out some decent some decent films. But again, it's all about how well they get done and, and aren't rushed out because that's what Hollywood tends to do, rush them out, try and get a buzz, and then ruin the franchise. So I'm actually very interested in seeing how this pans out. In some other news, Zack Snyder's Man of, Man of Steel Superman film will not be coming out in December 2012. The new release date now is June 14, 2013. And we got a couple of news from our buddies at ComingSoon.net. The first involves our buddy Hugh Jackman, who actually, while promoting Real Steel at Comic-Con, answered some questions about Wolverine, one of the, one of the members of the crowd one of the people in the crowd asked him about who the villain would be in the next Wolverine film, and he has spoiled it by saying that it will be Silver Samurai and that he expects it to be a very exciting film. So there you have it, folks. In the next Wolverine film, he will be locking up with Silver Samurai. In some other news, ComingSoon.net gave a lot of, report, of news reports regarding Robert Rodriguez, who was at Comic-Con. First off, he gave us some details re regarding a sequel to Machete, which I am super excited for, um, or Machete for our non-Hispanic audience. Uh, the Machete sequels have both been greenlit, but he did backtrack a bit and said that the first sequel is the only one guaranteed to be a full-length film. The third film in the trilogy will only exist in trailer form for the time being. The first sequel, of course, we all know will be called Machete Kills. The second film will be called Machete Kills Again, but here's the, the kicker. It's called Machete Kills Again in Space. So I'm sure that you guys can have a few laughs with that. Machete Kills Again in Space. Expect to see space babes and a lightsaber-style weapon in the trailer. <laughs> That's going to be the one that you will be seeing at the end of Machete Kills. It's going to be Machete Kills Again in Space. <laughs> I can't even believe I just fucking said that but it is true, and I can't even group it in what-the-fuck movie news because I would watch it. I would watch Machete Kills Again in space immediately. In some other news, ComingSoon.net reported that the sequel for Sin City is ready to move forward. Robert Rodriguez announced that Frank had written a really great script for Sin City 2, and it can begin shooting as early as later this year. The film is going to be an adaptation of the story A Dame to Kill For, and it's also going to be borrowing from the story A Long Bad Night. As of right now, they aren't sure if the cast will be returning, but you can be guaranteed that they will try and get back Mickey Rourke and Nancy because A Dame to Kill For involved both Marv and Jessica Alba as Nancy. Well, they involve Marv, a.k.a. Mickey Rourke, and Nancy, who was portrayed by Jessica Alba, so they'll probably try and get those two leads back. And lastly, to round things out, Robert Rodriguez ended the Comic-Con panel the, uh, earlier today by saying that he has teamed up with Frank Frazetta's, um, his estate, excuse me, my notes were a little messed up, with Frank Frazetta's um, estate to create a live-action adaptation of the 1983 animated film Fire and Ice. Rodriguez went on to show a montage of stills taken from Frazetta's most famous work, saying that he wants to apply the same dedication that he gave Frank Miller when he made Sin City. As of right now, he's been working very closely with the Frazetta estate on a number of future projects, 
and hopes to help them in opening a museum in Austin, Texas. So there you go. You're going to be, Robert Rodriguez is going to be bringing back Fire and Ice, sequel to Sin City, Machete Kills, and Machete Kills again in space. I think that's a fitting way to close out the show this week with Machete Kills again in space. But with that, that wraps up the show for this week. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 101, The New Era Begins, for Thursday, July 21st, 2011. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you want to keep up with My Take Radio, you can look us up on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash mytakeradio. And if you want to follow my personal account on Twitter, it's rich underscore MTR. In addition to that, you can look for us on MySpace. I don't know how long that'll be. And also on Facebook. If you haven't become a fan yet, what are you waiting for? Facebook.com slash MyTakeRadio. And last but not least, while I am awaiting a MyTakeRadio account for Google+, you can follow me on Google+, as well. So you can look me up, and I'm sure you'll be able to find me with relative ease. If not, I will be posting the link again in the fan page later on this week. Last but not least, if you haven't, do yourselves a favor. Pick up the MTR app from either the Android, Amazon, or iTunes stores for $1.99, cheaper than a coffee. Have MTR to go. Get access to exclusive content, including the Minority Film Report, MTR Behind the Mic, and MTR Beyond the Mic. Last but not least, I've actually started recording a couple of video blogs, which are mostly going to be reviews for certain products. I'm just getting a little bit more comfortable in front of the camera. Right now I have a video blog set up with a review of the Harmony One Remote from Logitech. In addition to that, I'm going to have probably a review of the OnLive Micro Console, which we will be giving away in two weeks. Lastly, we are planning an MTR game night within the coming month or so. Uh, it's going to be a joint venture between us and our partners at Unveil. Got to give a shout-out to those guys and a shout-out to our content partners at MMA Valor. As I said, it's going to be an MTR game night. Right now, you can vote on what game you'd like to play. The leading title right now is Super Street Fighter IV Arcade Edition, I believe, with 10 votes. I added Mortal Kombat in there, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and also for you FPS fans, I even threw in some Call of Duty Black Ops. So by all means, please take a moment and vote. We can tally up those votes and create um, some rules and stuff for the community game night. It will be sponsored, of course, by MTR and Unveil. It's just going to be a group of us getting together, shooting the shit, playing some games, and just having a good time. Our, our partners at Unveil are working on a huge event in November, which we are going to be working with them to hopefully get out there for you guys. It's probably going to be at a, at a big venue and it's going to be with all the gamers there and all these cool vendors and stuff. So once that's been announced, we will, of course, share it on the show. In addition to that, My Take Radio will be covering the New York Comic Con in October. Myself, Andrea, Slick, and probably Josh will be there, and also Bronx to some capacity. And we will be bringing you all the news from the New York Comic Con floor in October. So I'm sure you guys would be super pumped for that. Now, lastly, before I wrap it up, we may not have a show next week. I'm supposed to have some visitors down here from out of town, so there may be there may not be a show. Worst case, 
There may be a show on Wednesday, but I may actually just take a, a bit of a break and focus on MTR 4.0, which is currently being worked on, and a couple of other things. But, of course, I will keep you guys posted. I'd like to thank Lex McMahon for stopping through from Alchemist MMA and sharing a little bit about his organization and a little bit about himself as well. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up. Happy birthday to Slick. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I will catch you all next week. Take us out, Chappelle. Our outro track this week will be Born of Ashes, the intro music for Kratos, and it was done by Brian Strader, and you can find that on the OC Remix, Heroes and Villains official soundtrack, which you can get from ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. Catch you later.